0: Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission.
1: Tell your friends they
0: can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The FIA World Endurance Championship on RS1. On RS1. Part of the Radio Show Limited Network.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to a special programme here on the Radio Show Limited network of audio and video channels. I'm John Knight and joining me is the voice of the ACO's ELMS and for this programme the WEC Johnny Palmer.
0: Hello, JP. How are you? Hello, John. Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, Eager to get going with another new championship for 2021. They've uh, all arrived like buses, it would seem. But we've had an (laughs) opener for ELMS and now we crack on with the World Endurance Championship.
1: It's been a stuttering start... Uh, it, it, a difficult birth to the 2021 Championship. Uh, we're now on our third different venue for the first round of the series, and it will be this weekend at Spa-Francorchamps. Uh, we've had to eschew Sebring for obvious travel reasons. Uh, ironically, I think we probably could have got, on Easter weekend, we could have got the Portimao opening round away, um, but quite sensibly... The FIA, WEC, and the ACO had to make a decision when decision making was, I mean, almost a fool's errand, frankly. Um, but people had to travel, had to make, had to make uh, logistical decisions. So we will start this weekend. How has that changed? Do you think? And you've spoken to some of the teams, obviously, at, who are involved in the LMS. How's that changed their uh, their way of building up? to the FIAWEC this year and their preparation time? I,
0: I think uh, one or two um, forms for various things have had to be torn, torn, up, torn up and thrown away, certainly. Um, it's tough, isn't it? Because everything's so fluid at this stage and for a lot of the teams, this won't be the only championship they're doing, so it's a question of keeping on lots of moving platelets at this stage, and and okay, well, we're not going there now, so what's the next meeting we're doing, and and shifting their priorities. We're actually in a phase now where first of may is the time when we were traveling into those those winter type seasons we had a super season which started at spa in may and later than we would normally have started a a traditional summer campaign so uh, you know there'll be things in place that will be able to work with Spa no problem and it's getting more and more like a like a european orientated campaign as well with no flyaway race at the start of it question marks possibly about um, the later races that do involve more travel for the European teams mm. and obviously the movement of Le Mans which has presented an opportunity to run a meeting now in June um, but Le Mans moving is a massive thing um, for the international teams that they've now got to think about uh, getting to Circuit de la Sarthe in August rather than the traditional date so it's tough but I think you know we're all getting used to the new normal mm. including the fact that everyone's got to be tested uh, within 3 days of all of their travel um it's just something else to add to the list
1: i'll have to say i think In fairness, the WEC have done a a decent job because what they've tried to do is forward plan. And as I said, it's very difficult to do that. But you've got to give people, particularly for the big race at Le Mans, you've got to give them the best chance of attending as possible. So moving it into August and making that decision relatively early, I, I think it works rather well. Now, we have... 35 cars declared for the weekend's six-hour competition at Spa-Francorchamps for the total six hours of of Spa. So we'll, we'll focus in on that. But we have to say straight away that missing are two significant entries from Glinton House. Now, we knew, if we go back and tell this story, we knew they were never going to be at Sebring. It looked like they might be over Easter weekend at Portimao and, indeed, uh, the Twitter account, which is very busy, uh, tells the story that, yeah, this is great. We've got extra time. It looks like we're in for the for the season starting from then. Then that wasn't happening for them and wasn't happening for everybody else. Now not at Spa either. Their second chassis has just been delivered. They're still doing testing. They want to do a 30-hour test before they finalise the homologation of the car. Disappointing, but I think quite clever in the respect that they are delaying as long as possible the finalisation of the spec of that car to get as much information as they can.
0: Yeah, and the 30-hour test is, I think, crucial to knowing exactly where they are ahead of the, the longer distance races this year. That's scheduled for May at Aragon. Uh, we're told that despite the significant accident for one of their, well, the main chassis, that's actually not contributed to the decision to postpone uh, their uh, start into the campaign. So it'll be Portimao, uh, basically, is the first time that we will see the Glickenhaus machines. They are completely committed to this. Jim Glickenhaus has been wanting to be part of the World Endurance Championship for many seasons, <clears throat> so there's no question about. Um, their commitment to the cause, but they want their preparation to be as ideal and as explorative as possible and and then, you know, have a, have a couple of races prior to Le Mans, which they will get, and then really kick on and have a strong Le Mans. They'll have Portimao and Monza, don't forget, and then Le Mans in August and, uh, and then organs blazing for the final two rounds.
1: Well, except that, 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 you know, they've said that they're not interested in the flyaways. Uh, because they don't, they're not thinking they're going to sell cars in the Far East or in the Middle East. Which oh. um, I remember when the the price cap, or at least the price indication for for hypercar, was out. Glickenhaus were the, I mean, give them the due; they were the absolute first, weren't they? To declare, yeah, we're in, we can do that. That is a sensible amount of money that we think we can get commitment from our sponsors for we're prepared to put that money up and we'll do the whole season. They're not going to do anything near the whole season now. And whether you agree with that or not, and I'm not seeing that I'm in either camp there, there's been a change of message from Gleichen House. And I just wonder what that will do to their relationship with the ACO. It's,
0: that is very tough. I mean, it it's also depends on how desperate the ACO are for entries, because there was a time when you couldn't enter the World Endurance Championship without full commitment to every single mm. round. Um, and do the ACO have to go back on that a little bit because, you know, with three cars ahead of Spa, one of which isn't actually an LMH car, strictly. It, it's mm. an old machine recycled, effectively. And, um yeah, it's it's tough because I understand where Jim's coming from as well. Uh, they, oh, me they, too. They need the backing f- to, to en- enable to uh, to fund the project, um, and, and I'm sure they would like to be in Bahrain and Fuji, but but they need a business model for those races to work. Um, and obviously, discussions have been had to say, well, you know, we'll certainly have you for the European races. Maybe we can convince you along the way if they do well. Yeah. you know, and they're in a position to win the championship, they'll have to go.
1: Do you get the feeling that Glickenhaus don't care about the championship? They just want to be at Le Mans.
0: No, I think uh, Jim Glickenhaus has been quoted as saying that uh, ultimately their goal is to win the championship, but Le Mans first on the on the agenda. So attend Le Mans this year and see if they can get into a position to win it. You never know because we've got completely brand new cars in the top class. Some may be susceptible to reliability problems. Um, and Jim may have one or two of his cars in in a great spot, so get that one first, and then you can worry about the second massive prize of the WEC, but um, no, I think that's on the radar in the next two to three seasons.
1: Let's talk about the cars that are going to be at Spa, then. Uh, We'll talk about Toyota in a moment. The Recycled Rebellion that you referenced there is the number 36 Alpine Elf Matmut, to give it its uh, proper title. It is... In the hypercar class, and there's potential for some uh, misunderstanding or uh, misappropriation of titles here, if if you're not careful, the top class is now called hypercar. Within that, uh, we have several different forms of car. Two different, at least two different forms of hypercar uh, allowed, of which, obviously, we're only going to have one uh, this weekend, Uh, plus the old LMP1s. Uh, the non-hybrid LMP1 cars grandfathered in. This is exactly that. It is badged as an Alpine A480 Gibson, which is um, an Orica chassis, uh, which was uh, paid for and uh, run as a rebellion. A beautiful car. And I think you and I have talked about this before, Johnny, if we had not had the Toyota TSO50, then we would have looked at that car and the other cars it was racing against in in its time and said, we were blessed, absolutely gorgeous piece of engineering, but it, it is now an old car, but to its credit, it's a proven package. It is. um, And
0: done some winning along the way, courtesy of the equivalence of technology ruling that was in place uh, for last season. So as they slowed the Toyotas, as they continued to win or get good results, then the rebellion came into its own as well. And, you know, we've had pole positions and I think just a one win for uh, that car. But um, it's far more it comes from a far more stable backing, you might argue, than Mm. the cars it will be up against because they are completely straight out of the box. At least it's had some running. Um, and Alpine sticking, sticking their badge on it, effectively, as they've been doing with the Orica 07 in the LMP2 division for Good the point. last few yeah. seasons. So um, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, Alpine wanting to push their brand, carrying the same sponsorship as they did as well. And they've also got some stability in terms of their drivers because uh, certainly two of the three drivers have experience with the team in the past.
1: Uh, and that uh, he, there are two Frenchmen, Nico Lapierre and Mathieu Vaxvier, who joined the Brazilian Andre Negrao.
0: Yeah, uh, an Andre, cracking guy, really enthusiastic, and a WEC championship winner with uh, Alpine. So um, vastly experienced, very reliable, gold. Uh, graded driver, and I think there's not going to be a great deal of uh, speed differential between Lapierre and Negrao. I think Lapierre will possibly just about get it on the average uh, lap times through the stints, but it'll be close. And Andre Negra the difference is, you know, he's not won uh, uh, a massive title or indeed raced in Formula 1 before. But um, otherwise, there's not a a great deal of difference. And then the beauty of Hypercar is that no longer do Alpine have to incorporate a silver-rated driver in their mix, so you can now go with Mathieu Vaxivier, a uh, fellow Frenchman, to join Lapierre and, of course, the French squad. And Vaxivier, um, more and more experienced behind the wheel of an LMP2 car. Don't think he's ever raced in the top class, uh, no. Uh, so, done Le Mans before with Alpine, as mentioned, well, not with Alpine, as mentioned, TDS racing he's raced with before, yes. Panis. Uh, That was during last season's 24 Hours of Le Mans. So, used to LMP2 machinery. There's a little bit of adjustment that we required as he's racing now for for outright honours, but uh, he'll get to grips with that very quickly indeed from a single-seater background, so no worries.
1: Uh, And you don't think the gold, gold, platinum is an issue there against full platinum lineups for the works team? um,
0: Again, it's dependent on, on trophies, really, I can't see it having a. Ma- I think. I think actually the difference in car will have the larger impact than any supposedly weak, weak link when you've got yeah. two goals in there. Um, you know, you've got as mentioned a brand new car, which if it is reliable, should outpace the grandfathered machine. I think that's the bigger concern than
1: the driving lineup. And and this we presume. Then is a a prelude. possibly we should say prologue, given that uh, that has happened this week uh, a, or is happening this week. A, a, a prelude to Alpine and some kind of of hypercar effort for the Renault-owned uh, Stellantis brand um, in the future, because this car can only race this year as it stands, can't it? Yeah. But it's what it does is keep
0: the Alpine brand uh, forefront and present in everybody's mind, uh, and it's almost like a placeholder, if you like, whilst they work on um, their their future uh, plans, of which there are many, um, whether they be in the LMDH category or hy- pure old hypercar. But, um, but the, the bits I read suggest that Alpine, you know, want to go the Le Mans route, should we say, rather than the the uh, cars from the IMSA Championship, the LMDH bit, so that if they can, they'll be building a hypercar, but that is a massive undertaking, um, uh, and it's a question uh, of...
1: Can, can you on. imagine looking at like an Alpine A110, though? Sort of on steroids? In a I hypercar mean, that is format. Exact, yes. yes, that's exactly what the ACO want, isn't it? It would look fantastic.
0: Yeah, um, and why not? But uh, I just think about the amount of millions of euro that uh, have to be uh, sourced in in order to to even just start the design process for for something like that but alpine you know not backwards in coming forwards in in, in wanting to occupy a place in the top class in hypercar uh, and this is just a means to an end in order to do that and they've been given one or two uh, foot-ups in order to play with the toyotas on a similar platform um but I'm very much looking forward to the, to the future. There's just a lot of ground to, to get through before, uh, you know, we, we see uh, and the Alpine uh, new project is revealed.
1: They're up against the might of Toyota Gazoo Racing with two cars. Once again, they run the seven and the eight numbers. The seven cars, Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez. In the eight car, it's Buemi, uh, Seb Buemi, uh, Kaz Nakajima and Brendan Hartley. So... Uh, Plenty of, of consistency there rolling over. This is a car, and many of our listeners, the GR-010 as it is, um, it, is it owes quite a lot of its heritage, not unsurprisingly, to the TSO 50 in its various forms. And certainly the back end of the car looks almost identical. There's a different front-end treatment. It doesn't resemble any uh, Toyota road car At the moment, although we hear that Toyota will style a a supercar, hypercar, something like it, and we saw a a rolling prototype of that at Le Mans two years ago, maybe. Um, What I've seen from it in the uh, early running, and I saw some footage that Michelin uh, released recently of the car out, uh, in its 30-hour in its test, funny enough, the car looks great, and it looks quick. Um, it's a lovely, fluid design, but clearly a, a, a bespoke prototype, Johnny. But the thing that struck me was how much the car was moving around. We know that part of these new rules is to reduce the downforce... And at Paul Ricard, the high test, uh, the high speed test track, the car was four wheel drifting through some of the faster corners. Now, if that is actually what we see, I'm tremendously excited by that. Me too. Um, it, it, it's quite a heavy
0: car as well because they revealed last week um, the the, the weights that will be carried by the three cars and actually the grandfathered machine. Uh, quite a bit lighter at 930 kilos, but the Toyota is going to run at 1040, um, which is way more than the uh, TSO50 ran last year, closer to the the 800 mark or the, the, the sort of late 800s. Um, so, and you've also got a, you've got a fairly big V6 engine in the middle as well, three and a half litre turbocharged. So yeah, I, uh, downforce is obviously hugely important um, and they've had to slow these cars down or they need to be running to a certain lap time as well, because, you know, you can't possibly run a car that is just over a ton at the same sort of speeds that we were seeing previously in LMP1 days. There is a new driving style that the six Toyota drivers are going to have to become accustomed to, and they're all perfectly capable of doing that. But far from, um, you know, pushing so hard into Tête Rouge, as we've seen, and the car being on rails, maybe we are going to start to see them being slightly more wayward and exactly Mm. how the drivers are earning their money because they're going to have to react to that. Uh, And that's why Spa is so exciting this weekend. Yes. You know, this really is uh, a launch a little bit into the unknown. They've done 30-hour tests, but not around this place. Um, It's full commitment
1: around here. And, And there's such a variety of corners at Spa. We always think of Spa as, you know, Spa and Monza, you think of two great ...opportunities uh, that uh, you have to test a car in low drag, uh, low downforce for Le Mans. And that's why Spa before Le Mans has always worked so well in the in the WEC. Well, we'll get Monza before Le Mans as well now. Uh, double bubble there, I would say, for everybody. But Spar is, is actually really good because it's got some medium-quick corners... ...it's got some quick corners and it's got some slow corners as well. And if these cars are moving around... For example, up the hill to from Aurus to Radio is—is that all going to be flat in these new cars? And I honestly don't know what what the answer is to that. And we probably won't until we've spoken to the drivers uh, after uh, the two-day prologue test, which which finishes tomorrow. Yeah, um, and. Not in their class, but
0: uh, in the, the GT classes, there've they've already been some full commitment moments and beyond them at Spa and Radion. So, yes, um, two Aston Martin issues, uh, wasn't two it? 2TF yeah. Sport, big crashes, yeah. Uh, yeah. So one or two teams on the back foot because of that. And, you know, how committed are you in the first couple of sessions of Prologue, knowing that these are completely brand new cars, spares that will be at a premium, uh, and you're still trying to work out actually how quickly they will go. Now, you know, Cars of are, are the drivers of the calibre of Mike Conway, Kami Kobayashi, Kaz Nakajima, they will find the limit very quickly indeed. Um, but they also need to work out where their, the strengths of this car are compared to the cars they're going to be lapping all of the time because with the, the ripple effect of slowing the top class means that LMP2 have had to be uh, somewhat uh, negated as well. And you know, th- th- there's going to be situations where. Quite possibly, the speed differential is is much closer than it was at any point last year. And that's still work in progress by the organisers. I I think it's going to be great because the Toyotas sort of had it their own way a lot of last season. Yes, you had the equivalence of technology, but really a lot of the races, because of the difficulties that their opponents had in a lot of the races, they were driving within themselves, um, you could argue that with only other, one other car in the hypercar class, they can do a little bit of that, yes. But are they also fighting amongst uh, th- themselves and within their own talents to try and work out the machinery that's at their yeah. disposal through the course of the weekend? Um, Prologue's going to be very useful. But then when we get to Monza, there is no prologue. So you've got to hit the ground very much running there
1: into free practice. Uh, and obviously, Toyota got to be favourites for the championship. Um, which of the two cars win the championship? I mean, that, that's the question I'm going to ask right now because I cannot see the Gibson Alpine Rebellion getting. And I should have asked actually: Are we still having an equalisation format, so that you get um, success balance through or success balancing throughout the season? Not through the season. Uh, The one thing that has been scrapped is the
0: idea of equivalence of technology, and instead it's replaced by a balance of performance system. So it's done in a more traditional sense uh, through weight, uh, through what they call maximum stint energy. Uh, So uh, uh, recording and making sure that the amount of megajoules per stint is not exceeded. So for the Toyotas, for example, it's 964 megajoules per stint. And there's also a peak (laughs) power output, which is adjusted as well. However, that's not result dependent. So they may well have the the algorithm that's been running for a little while. Certainly in GT Pro, that's been a thing. So, you know, constantly looking at the results saying, that car's just a touch too fast, we're going to trim it down, and vice versa if it's not quite there on the pace but you're not going to have these big differences that are dependent on championship points uh, that was just a one off for last season uh,
1: yes uh, i i i still think that uh, all right it's the first season of the of the new regulations it's a shame that we've only got the two cars but we've only had two cars in the classes before we know Toyota Gazoo Racing particularly this year without any superstar drivers they're unlikely to favour one over the other there's a Japanese driver in each I'm hopeful JP that, that we'll get an actual race between those two cars I think so um,
0: and I thought so last year as well and, and and so it proved bit of a strange moment at Le Mans again when you know you, you thought Mike Conway after all the bad luck that he'd had with the number 7 car uh it might go his way and, and, and it didn't, but, but they did get the title, I suppose. And, you know, the fact that uh, a, a certain Fernando Alonso hadn't been part of the team last year and isn't this either, um, sh- should serve to equal the field out. And like you say, they haven't put the two Japanese in the same car either. So, you know, they are given yep. Kobayashi and Nakajima, uh, equal merit there. Great that Brendan Hartley could seal another deal. Cause I think he did a really, yes. he did really well last season. Seb Buemi's been there from the start. Uh, Certainly, uh, certainly, the same as Kaz Nakajima and, and Mike Conway, pretty much all the way as well from 2012. And has
1: as Jose GML has he has he done it enough to redeem himself? Because he had a, a sticky what first season and a half, two seasons, didn't he?
0: Yeah, the first year he came in with a crash at Silverstone, rather blotted his copybook, and a lot of people said he he didn't necessarily have the mentality to be able to drive these very fast cars and the consistency as for well for a long but, time but yes. yeah but I, I think you know that there has been a learning curve he'll probably be the first to admit that and and he's now very consistent proven by the fact that you know in the, in the two driver qualifying that we had last year he was often one of the chosen two um so they, they respected his single lap pace and he was put in for some of the more important stints during last season too so um I think he's he, he's proving a lot of his critics wrong now. It's just taken a, a, a couple of years to get there.
1: We're spending a lot of time talking about just three cars, but it's the top class, and mm. you know people will want to know what's going to happen at the front of the field. We've got a 14-car field of LMP2s, and looking at the early testing times, the gaps between them are non-existent at Spa. Now, granted, we, we've got another day of testing Tomorrow, and you've got to ask yourself how much Toyota and indeed Alpine want to show their hands uh, in the early part of the season, certainly before they get to Le Mans. But uh, the I've got the sheet here uh, from the morning session, and the top seven this morning were were all l m p two cars i mean is is this and these are slowed down l m p two cars uh, as well and um, we 'll talk about them individually at the moment, but the balance of performance and the lap times between the hypercars and the P2s has already caused issues within the ELMS um, because they have had the knock-on effect, and indeed the rules have been changed again for them, uh, which you'll have to get used to uh, again. Although, in fact, it's just not changing is is the point in the ELMS. <laughs> but but they've been they've had power taken from them, and in the early running, certainly in uh, the morning session on Monday, in the the prologue session as I say top seven cars were all P 2s yeah well they're all tried and
0: tested machinery as I said whereas uh, these two Toyotas and to an extent the Alpine in in um, on, uh, less familiar hands shall we say uh, not quite on the pace or at least that would you know that's what we see <laughs> from from this uh, first morning session I do think there's going to be an element of drivers taking it easy they don't want any sort of accident um but it's it's going to be concerning when we get to i mean certainly qualifying this weekend when when you're throwing lmp2s out with the hypercars um is that genuinely going to be a problem and 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 where is the lmp2 faster if these
1: are uh, in a straight line by the trap speeds this morning yeah faster all right not by much but that's, that's a key element at uh, places like Le Mans and Spa and, and Monza as well. When we go there, there's a long straight at Portimao down the front straight uh, as well. Now, Toyota have tested extensively there. But the numbers, it would seem, from the early running, all right, it, it was closer in the, the afternoon session and, and, and you know more back towards the status quo. But the numbers are still not quite there are they and that has a not one effect if you start slowing down the p2's very much more how close are they going to be to mm-hmm. the the gte cars
0: yeah and what you don't have in this championship is lmp3 and i but i do know at barcelona just, just in the, well. <laughs> in, well in barcelona in the elms there were times in that last sector when actually the P2s had very little to offer against an LMP3 and you had to just sit through the chicane and that final corner and then hope you could pick off the LMP3 on the straight. And I just wonder whether we're going to have a similar sort of overlap in places like the end of the Kemmel straight, where the LMP2 is still accelerating and maybe the Toyota with its hybrid has reached full power two-thirds of the way down there. Um, Yes. So we've had that situation at Le Mans before too, where... Um, the normally aspirated non hybrid LMP1s of old were catching and sometimes overtaking the hybrids yes. of LMP1. It yes. happened at Fuji on that very long straight there.
1: Uh, particularly when. Shanghai as well on the back straight. You, could, you yeah. could see that happening. It was quite extraordinary that you, in the days of Toyota, Porsche and Audi, halfway down, probably before halfway down, they'd run out of, of hybrid power. And. Even P2s were starting to pull back on them. It was extraordinary. After
0: that amazing slingshot that they would get from the four-wheel drive in the uh, Toyota's case and the, well, the Audi as well, um, you know, burst out of the corner. So no problems off out of the blocks, but then just sort of run out of steam way before the breaking point. So I, I'd be interested to see whether we're going to get the similar situation at, at Spa this weekend and quite possibly Monza as well with a, with long straight there, of course. Um, but, yeah, as the times continue to come through from this two-day prologue, probably we are going to see the three cars, the 7, the 8 and the 36,
1: rise to the surface. But I'm not sure the gap's going to be that big, That actually. big, yeah. And in race conditions, as you see, it's not about a, a lap time. If it's half a second here, three quarters of a second there, in terms of racing, that's nothing. That's mm. absolutely nothing at all. Now, it, it, in terms of the P2s, and we will get onto the P2s in a minute, I promise, but but in terms of the P2s, are we going to see the implementation then of the regulation that has been thrown out of competition in ELMS because there are no hypercars, which is that the cars all have to run the low drag Le Mans style bodywork? Um
0: yeah that's still very much a moot point and uh, <laughs> there are teams that are very dead against that others that uh, are slightly more happy to embrace it but um low downforce in lmp2 just makes them go faster so uh, are they are they desperately trying to
1: Faster in a straight line, but not faster a around really the curve. corners.
0: Yeah, good point. Um,
1: and it makes it more difficult to drive for the non-pro drivers. And I think that's the worry as well as the... Yeah, yeah. the, the there is Clearly, there's a financial aspect to it. Yes, we know we've all, that they're all going to run the low downforce kit at Le Mans, but that's in August, and that's one race, albeit an important one and a 24-hour one. But if you're running that all season, that means you've got an awful lot of bodywork that you're not going to be using and an awful lot of new bodywork that you've got to buy presumably and then you're putting your am drivers in a situation where the car is more tricky to drive mm. uh, more potentially uh, in, in terms of, of driving the car and damage more mistake inducing perhaps and I think that's isn't it what the, the teams are sort of talking about
0: yeah well new to this for this year in both of these championships is the Pro-Am category which allows a bronze mm. in there so even more so they, they need to Good be point. driver friendly um, and the other point that was made to me on a few occasions in Barcelona is that um being an ELMS entry doesn't automatically get you to Le Mans so there are some teams that aren't actually going to Le Mans even though they're entered into yes. ELMS so why why should they invest in Le Mans style bodywork uh, for that, that reason and, uh,
1: and that has gone now though hasn't it in for ELMS
0: yes but the right, argument okay. can still stand for, for WEC I know you get an automatic entry but um, there is the cost thing that you've got to think about definitely and more importantly lesser experienced drivers into LMP2 for a first season and you're just making it harder for them and the potential for more accidents more money and less safety
1: I wonder if we'll see a team's revolt here. Watch this space, I think, is the answer to that. There are 14 cars entered for the season opener for the 2021 FIA World Endurance Championship at Spa this weekend. Six hours, the traditional length for... Well, it's anything traditional now, but you know what I mean. The vast majority of them are Oricas. In fact, all bar one are Oricas. There aren't even any Alpine rebranded Oricas uh, there. There's one Leisure and two Auras. Obviously, the Leisure is a separate brand, but the Auras are rebadged Oricas uh, as well. So let's take the Leisure GSP 217 chassis first, then, JP, as the outlier from the Uh, Slovakian entered ARC, Bratislava team. They are running in Pro-Am with uh, Miro Konopka uh, from Slovakia, Tom Jackson from the UK and Darren Burke from the UK. The two Brits are the Silvers and uh, Miro is the Bronze. You've got to give them their due. They've come with something different and in a... In the Pro-Am category, which is, uh, roughly speaking, half of of that 14 field. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yes, it's exactly half uh, of the field. Um, On a a given day, they might get a result with that chassis.
0: You never know. Uh, And sometimes if you think that you're not necessarily going to get a result in a similar machine up against so many other strong teams running Oricas, then is it actually better to plough your own furrow to a a certain degree? And, you know, that's the one differential that may make a difference. The other important thing is that they are used to that car, having run it in the Asian Le Mans series, and that's where the connection with Darren Burke certainly comes from. Tom Jackson, though, has only ever driven LMP3 cars, Uh, and then the odd GT car, but he he came through the Junetta programme, having raced in in juniors in the UK uh, for a couple of seasons and uh, steadily getting more experience, but this will be a big step for Tom. Um, Darren Burke, who comes from Kent uh, and has been racing sometimes in the UK, but doing a lot of stuff actually further afield, so he's raced in the Sepang 12 hours, he's done uh, uh, two seasons in the Asian Le Mans series, and that's all been with... ARC Bratislava also racing in the, in the international GT Open with that crew. So, you know, fits like a glove with the Slovakian team. Um, Miro comes from Bratislava, funnily enough. That's where the name of the team comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ligier have looked the next strongest car for me. There have been one or two problems for when we've seen a Delara on the grid. Um, I don't think that's necessarily capable of, of a podium when I've seen it previously. Whereas a Ligier might be but it's i think they're banking on one or two sob stories elsewhere in that 14 car (laughs) field but then again you know they're only up against six other cars in pro-am which is scored completely differently you know it's it's scored independently so there's 25 points up for grabs for a race win in pro-am and you get points for the main lmp2 championship too so they'll be looking to try and get into the top three of pro-am where possible
1: well, and let's stay with pro am then, as I've started with that one car as an outlier chassis-wise, and that is in pro am rather than go through the individual teams. I'll go through them in pro am and am um, and pro, excuse me. So, in number order, because. Uh, there is almost a, a set of numbers that kind of works for this, but not quite, not exactly how I would like to see it. Um, but the number 20 high-class racing team uh, is the lowest number LMP2 that is in the Pro-Am category. This is a Danish team, uh, and it has an all-Danish lineup. Uh, you are allowed a platinum driver uh, in the pro arm but you've got to have a bronze. The bronze is Dennis Anderson. There's a silver with Anders Fjord back, and the... Uh, platinum driver, is none other uh, than Jan Magnussen.
0: It is, and uh, I understand that Jan... Going to be driving with young Kevin when we get to Le Mans for the team as well, so that'll be something to look forward to. Father and son. Yeah, that's been
1: hanging around for a while, hasn't it? And mm. we weren't sure because we weren't sure where the high class, what high class we're going to do, and how many cars they're going to. get. That's good. I like the father and son. We haven't seen one uh, there at uh, uh, racing for a while. Magnussen senior has not lost any of his speed, and being back in uh a full season championship. I think he'll be relishing. In fact, I know he's going to be relishing this
0: definitely. Uh, and has only actually tested with a team previously. Has never been entered into a, a race properly with high class racing. But they are Danish through and through, um, yeah. and it just seems to be a match made in heaven with uh, Anders Fjordback and Dennis Anderson, long time driving partners back to the Renault Renault RSO one days when they were racing with a high-class machine in that, uh, the uh, one-make championship. Um, So they know each other's strengths and weaknesses, um, and this will be certainly a second season in WEC, possibly a third now we're on to, um, when mm-hmm. they've raced with a, a variety of different people. But it just makes sense for, for Jan to fit in there. He can fit it in around his, um, well, recently been racing in TCR Denmark championship races uh, and did feature at Le Mans last year as well with j Motorsport. But it's great to have him, after a couple of years away from prototypes, uh, back into uh, the, the, the second uh, class, the LMP2 class.
1: I think he's still got something to offer. Hmm. And I think this is a smart move from Jan. For such a long time, he has been associated with GT racing and particularly, of course, with with Corvette. For him to get some experience in in P2, look, he's not in the first flush of youth. He'll be the first to admit that. But he's, he's still got something to offer as a driver. And with LMDH... Hypercar, other manufacturers coming through. He knows how to work with a manufacturer team. He would bring a lot of experience in for a private team running an LMDH or a hypercar when those become available. I think this is really smart from Jan, and I think this will extend JP. I think it'll extend his career. Yeah, well, he, I mean, he could carry on racing for another ten years, and probably yes. not
0: not lose a. A great deal of his pace. The other good thing is that in about three years' time, he'll drop a grade as well. <laughs> so it yes. could be a very secret weapon for one or two teams if if they're willing uh, to employ him. Um, but as I say, high-class racing are not in this for the short term. So I can actually no. see that being a, a reasonably long partnership, three to four years maybe. And let's see where, where they take it. I'm not suggesting they're going to end up in the top class. I think they're perfectly happy in LMP2. But it just keeps him on the radar, and and being yep. in the Le Mans paddock means you can, on the da- you know the, the away away from the main sessions, you can have conversations with one or two people and just make them aware that you're still around.
1: Uh, we're talking the 2021 FIA World Endurance Championship. Are uh, uh, voice of the FIA, WEC and indeed the ACO Championships, the ELMS and MLMC as well. Johnny Palmer is with me, John Heindorf. We're in LMP2 at the moment and looking at the proam uh, runners, Dragon Speed is the next one of three uh, USA flag teams, two of which are running uh, in... Uh, Pro-Am, yes. Uh, Dragon Speed have uh, Henrik Edman uh, from Sweden. Uh, ben Hanley is the gold driver from the UK. Henrik is the bronze. And uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, the Colombian platinum driver. Now, this is a decent-looking lineup here, not just for Pro-Am, to be honest, Johnny. Very good. Uh,
0: they've done incredibly well to, to get uh, Juan Pablo Montoya on board. And um, I, I like Elton Julian's approach to the elms as well uh, whereby henrik hedman and ben hanley remain the the, the static drivers and you've got somebody from f- i think generally from uh, the u.s motorsport world rotating in and out of that car so we had ricky taylor for the first round but he's not mm-hmm. going to be doing many more races if any but uh, there'll be a star name basically from the u.s i understand in, in that car as we go through wow. and clearly you know elton's contacts from back in his single-seater days when he was uh, a very decent peddler indeed. Um, and then, Great Formula 3 driver. Yeah, and then going into team management means that, you know, his little black book of contacts is, is very healthy indeed, and he can call on Juan Pablo Montoya, still relatively inexperienced at Le Mans. Uh, I'm just checking the database now to see whether he's ever done rounds away from that uh, race in the WEC. He did do mm-hmm. the Cota race in yeah. 20. 19, I think that was. Um, Yeah, so start of 2020, February 2020. That was the last round we had, of course, before lockdown uh, came in. So he he has been uh, racing at LMP2 level and pretty recently. Also did Le Mans last year, too. um, And don't forget he did
1: LMP2 chassis uh, when he was racing for Acura.
0: Oh yes, no, no. I'm not suggesting he's a stranger to uh, to, to prototype modern day prototype rating. but um, as far as a, a full season entry in WEC,
1: uh, indeed, uh, yes. this
0: will be the first step, I reckon. Apart from the the, the, the extra couple of races that he uh, th- that he'd done in last season. Actually, I'm looking at the previous year now. <laughs> when no, he was also with uh, which I'd forgotten a BR BR Engineering. And raced a, a number of times uh, yes. with, with those uh, with that Dragon Speed car when he joined um, Renga van der Zandra and others. So uh, yeah, oh. there, there's some connection to the championship. Good to have him back there for.
1: Ben Hanley, we know what Ben could do. He's plug and play. He jumps in the car, he does it. And Henrik Edmund is just getting better for me as a bronze driver. And the extra experience that you talked about there in the ELMS that those two are bringing the confidence that Henrik's got in his driving and the, how he feels comfortable in the car that can't do him that can't do him anything but positive uh, in in the potential for what we've got in the WEC. I'd be interested to see.
0: What Ben's role is in th- this campaign because he is the more experienced with the team and with these cars, Fair knowing point. how a, knowing how a World Endurance Championship weekend works and also ELMS two. and of course you you're now down to qualifying format which only needs one driver, and Ben's normally very good in a qualifying format, but the, the problem is he's going to have to fight uh, Juan Pablo Montoya to to the cockpit. So, yeah. Um, he will be dependent upon, or dependent upon, uh, as far as the important stints are concerned. I still think Montoya will be kept back for the the closing stints, uh, <laughs> but he may well be put in for the start when it's very busy. You know, picture the scene he when He does like
1: elbows out. He does like elbows out, Juan Pablo. In fairness,
0: yeah. Well, picture the scene when they're all <laughs> coming out of the bus stop chicane, and then you've got to breathe in into La Source. Um, when were when, when were Juan Pablo Montoya's last laps around here? uh formula one probably yes Um, yeah probably yeah so uh, you know these are these are wider cars you've got the speed differential as well um i don't know it's they're they're both very strong indeed um henrik hedman the bronze but getting more and more experienced uh but it's going to be an interesting dynamic to observe at dragon speed for this this season
1: the other usa flagged Pro Amcar, a PR1 Motorsports, number 24, PR1 Matheson, uh, we know them as in, in IMSA. Uh, Patrick Kelly, who has been awesome in his driving in the US, he's the bronze driver, uh, and he's done a lot of good work in prototype uh, racing in the US. Gabby Aubrey from France uh, is the gold driver, Gabrielle Aubrey, uh, who had a pretty decent Uh, has had a pretty decent career to date and also a gold and a a, a refugee from a number of prototype campaigns, including uh, Rebellion, if memory serves, Simon Trummer, the Swiss driver. How do you rate these three in that seven-car Pro-Am entry?
0: Simon Trummer, with a lot of experience with JDC Miller Motorsports in in the US, but has raced Mm. with... Uh, yeah, the CEFC crew at LMP2 level uh, in the past, the Manor Motorsport uh, entry. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah, more in more recent times, some um, exploration into the top class too. But uh, yes. no, no problem at all with, with his speed, labelled as a goal quite rightly so, coming out of Formula Renault in Switzerland, his home country, uh, and also has started to race with the Octane team in GT3 uh, around the Nürburgring Nordschleife. I think it's been in action this year, actually, in NLS there. So he's keeping his CV nice and, and varied. Uh, it's good to have him back in a, in a prototype with possibly a little bit more pressure on there because he's been, with te- he's been with teams where he's not necessarily been the strongest driver, but he'll have to be when it comes to PR1 Matheson Motorsport with Patrick Kelly, the bronze. Uh, they'll be looking for times from Simon Trummer. Uh, Gabby Obry, uh younger than Simon. So single-seater days really not that long uh, ago for You're him. Right. But he is used to – he's very used to the two-seater uh, cars now, having been in WEC last year. Uh, so that's just a continuation. Change of team but he won't really have had a chance to fall off the bike just yet. It'll be straight back on. No problem with uh, a a surprise round at the LMS when he guested for, uh, I forget which driver it was now, suffering with health issues. So Gabby was drafted in quite late on. Yeah.
1: Uh, There's two G-Drive racing entries, the 25 and the 26. It's the 25 we'll talk about here because that's the Pro-Arm entry. They are ended uh on the the entry list they are not the royal air force it's the russian automotive uh federation uh international competition band for uh the state-sponsored drugs cheating uh, and hiding of the drugs cheating by the russian olympic uh, committee uh, in operation here with the fia at world championship level so uh, um I think that that was uh, decided at the back end of of last year, so that they're running under the Automotive Federation uh, instead. Uh, John Falb is the bronze. He is the another link to the USA. Uh, as a uh, USA uh, native and also has been racing in IMSA quite a lot. Got two European counterparts, uh, Portuguese and Spanish. Rui Andrade is the silver and Roberto Mary as the platinum. And I look at that again and say, "Mm, you know what? This Pro-Am is not, this Pro-Am category, JP, it's not going to be a pushover. I think we could see a, a number of different results here, race on race
0: and not necessarily all the pro ams finishing behind the pros either because you well, I absolutely you know, agree with that if you get a mid race safety car and the pros already do, the the bronze has already done all of their time then um, you know you've got drivers of the right caliber to be able to mix it with those that we see in the full on pro cars so uh, i don't think we can rule out a pro am car finishing on the outright podium certainly and getting effectively Agreed. double points for that uh, john yeah. faub a former lmp3 champion in the European Le Mans series when he won with United. He's kind of found a a home now with uh, Stuart and Sam Cox's team, Algarve Pro Racing. That's the reason why there's this G-Drive racing connection, because G-Drive being run by APR for season 2021 in both ELMS and this championship. Um, But this will be his first full campaign in the WEC. He's sort of been present for one round a year, i.e. Le Mans, And he was in the 24 hours uh, in 2019 and 2020. But uh, very exciting to see him signed up uh, for the whole year in the 25 car. Uh, Rui Andrade, just 21, uh, originally from Angola, but uh, Portuguese by nationality and has come out of F4 in Spain and some Euro formula racing along the way as well. But uh, racing with G-Drive in both the the parallel European Le Mans series and much earlier this year, Asian Le Mans series with the same squad. So they found themselves a driver who's going to be very busy. And then Mary, yeah, uh, last time we saw him in, at Le Mans was with Eurasia Motorsport last year, but he had a sustained campaign with CEFC, I seem to remember again. Um, so LMP2... He'll be well used to that machinery now after, yeah, it was Manor that he raced with in 2016. And I remember that was the first time he'd uh, basically moved from the Manor Marussia F1 team the previous season into Manor's LMP2 car in 2016. And he's been in and out of prototype racing since then. So vastly
1: experienced uh, the, the Spaniard. This is really going to be a bun fight, isn't it, when you look at this uh, lmp 2 ProAm category. Uh, Netherlands next, Racing Team Netherlands, the 29 car. The bronze is the man with his name above the door, Mr Jumbo, uh, Fritz van Het, And with him, his two countrymen, Kido van der Garde and Schop van Heert uh, is the gold. Van der Garde, of course, is the platinum. You look at that again, and you know on his day, Fritz keeps the car on the track, keeps the car pointing in the right direction, that's another car that you could see doing very, very well indeed in, in class and, and potentially even in the overall. Uh,
0: full commitment driving is what you get from Fritz. He kind of lives mm-hmm. his racing life like he does his business life as well, you know, <laughs> entirely committed and um, actually I think one of, on his day, one of the fastest bronze rated drivers on the grid. Um, so, yep. you know, when you're comparing and actually the the biggest span comes when you compare bronze with bronze drivers because there's quite a variance depending on past experience and also just it is how you're feeling on the day because you don't at bronze level it's very tough to find the consistency that the pro drivers have who are doing it day in day out you know they've been committed from probably early teens or younger if they've come out of karting uh, whereas the business based people that have found motorsport later in life have always got a, a fair bit of catching up to do, uh, but Fritz seems to have found the, the right team around him, and I think it's important to have some fast drivers in the car, but those that can also communicate how to go quicker for Fritz uh, out of the car, looking at telemetry, looking at um, uh, driving style. So Guido van der Gaarde, Hjop van Aute, certainly offer that, and, and Guido and Fritz have been racing for a, a, a couple of seasons now. Fritz helping Hjot van Aute to get into a good position with several teams actually he's given him a bit of backing along the way and it's great now that they can share
1: a car again. Uh, and second quickest overall in both the test sessions earlier on today and in the afternoon section by just point zero zero one of a second both to the same team, United Sports USA, which we'll we'll talk about uh, later on. Half a second in the morning session, point zero zero one in the afternoon session. I mean, that's extraordinary. They were ahead of all the hypercars uh, in in the session. Um, as we said earlier, that not uh, uncommon in the morning session, but even in the Monday afternoon session. See what tomorrow's session uh, brings, and depending on. Um, if you're listening to this on the archive, you might already know that and the landscape may have changed. But working on, on what we've seen today, uh, we'll continue with the final of the proam entries, the seventh uh, of the seven. And this is Real Team Racing, the Swiss flagged team number 70, for the bronze driver Esteban Garcia, who is on a Swiss licence. Uh, Loic Duval is the platinum driver, uh, and the gold is his French countryman Norman Nato. Well, any time Loic Duval's name pops up, you've got to think, JP, that you have to take that seriously as an, as an entry, and, and Norman Nato is you know, a, a very good gold driver. Superb, yeah, but uh, Duval having come
0: from uh, most recently a a season in the European Le Mans series last year. So uh, he's been around ACO circles for at least the the last, uh, after a step away from DTM. Now, now, you know, I realise I'm uh, omitting that time that he spent with Audi and uh, actually, Mm. of course, took took the big race win in 2013. He then went away to DTM for a couple of years, racing with Team Phoenix, although was sort of always present at Le Mans, but has come back to the domestic you can call it European Le Mans Series, a domestic championship. You know what I mean. Continental Championship with Algarve Pro last year, and he's now back into the WEC full time. and And it's great to have him back. Um, someone who just is motorsport through and through, uh, hugely experienced when it comes to um, top class cars and now with lmp2s as well and i think that season last year with algarve pro racing will be very useful indeed although it was it was tricky because uh, along the way he only actually scored nine points with his co-drivers and uh, that was because he was involved certainly in an incident at paul ricard i remember uh, not of his own making where he ended up on his roof on the tire wall uh, never <laughs> ideal um but one of those kind of weird incidents that sort of stacked up and stacked up and, and he was at the uh, the high point of it um also, then sharing the car uh, with with uh, Loic, uh, a great lineup which uh, looks very, very good on paper. I have to say, um, with Esteban Garcia, the least experienced. Now he has come from an LMP3 um, battle last year, I think, in Michelin Le Mans Cup. Now let's just mm-hmm. see whether he also did ELMS. They He took a, a victory. Uh, along the way, which is was his first ever victory in motor racing, uh, and that was with Real Team um, when he did a couple of races. No, the win came in ELMS, as I thought, and and they went on to score fifth place points in in LMP3. Uh, but this is a, a massive now step up to LMP2. It's probably a case of you know him desperately wanting to race at Le Mans and in the second class in the WEC. So if you're going to do it. Uh, the time is right now, especially off the back of a a race win last season. And um, I'm I'm very interested to see how he gets on, but it's going to be an incredibly steep learning curve for the Swiss. Norman Nato, yeah, uh, experiencing lmp one recently. Um, I I can read off his CV here. Formula E, FIA Formula 2, Formula (laughs) Renault 3.5 series. He's done the major GT championships around the UK, around uh, the Europe, rather and sometimes around the world. He's done Spa 24 hours. He's done... Le Mans 24 hours several times, Petit Le Mans. Basically, any big race around the world, and it's generally on Norman Nato's CV. So that's uh, uh, he'll slot into the team, no problem at all, real team racing.
1: That's half of the 14 LMP2 entries in the Pro-Am category with a championship, with points being scored for the Pro-Ams. That means you have to have a bronze. There's nothing to stop them getting double a uh, bubble and also... Uh, Uh, scoring points in the main championship they'll be up against seven more uh, of the lmp 2 entries and we'll start uh, with the number one Richard Mail racing team for Tatiana Calderon the silver Sophie Flosch Sophia Flosch the silver and uh, Beitske Wieser uh, the Silver, so an all-silver line-up for Richard Meal Racing team with the number one on the front of the car for the French-flagged team. And some consistency from last year because
0: uh, Richard Meal Racing uh, sporting just about the same line-up for Le Mans. Uh, yes, it was those three entered in the number yes. 50 car uh, as it was last year. It becomes the number one machine for 2021 um but uh Tatiana Calderon first of all started racing in 2005 where she had so many karting championships in Rotax in uh Rotax Colombia a couple of back-to-back championship seasons there then on into Formula 3 uh got some GP3 races with the dams crew and has tested at Formula E level as well, but now hopefully has found a way uh, into racing at Le Mans and in the World Endurance Championship consistently with Richard Meal Racing. Um, also has been doing some uh, events in the Japanese Super Formula as well. So loves her downforce quite clearly, comfortable with it too, uh, and uh, an important part of that Richard Meal uh, lineup. Sophia Flirsch from Grunewald in Germany and Second season, again, with the Richard Meal racing crew having competed in ELMS last year. That was a tough season. Actually only did three races, the the final three of the five, after I think some complications with uh, getting the car on the grid, but um, has always stood out in... uh, Single-seaters in the past. I remember watching her very early days in the UK as well when she raced in Janetta Juniors in 2015, but um, has come out of karting when you go back far enough and still only 20. So big talent there, which, uh, uh, you know, is really exciting that people of her age find Le Mans yeah. and this type of racing attractive, and that's happening across the board. And then you've got a, a Dutch woman who has competed in W Series in Biteskavisa, but several seasons in Formula Renault 3.5. Uh, GT4 racing as well around Europe. Uh, no stranger to GT4 having competed in the Dubai 24 hours last year as mm-hmm. well. Um, so uh, this is the natural progression for Richard Mille racing. A, a second appearance at Le Mans automatically from a, a full season entry in the WEC.
1: Next up in the full pro category in lmp the number 22, United Autosports USA. Uh, this is branded at the moment, although, interestingly, there's uh, no uh, American, North American drivers in that. Fastest in both of the test sessions uh, on, uh, on Monday uh, with uh, Philippe Albuquerque, taking the fastest lap in the morning session and in the afternoon session uh, Philippe Albuquerque taking the fastest lap. He'll be joined in that 22 car by the gold Phil Hansen and by Fabio Scherer who is the Swiss silver driver. Now we know that Philippe is quick and the times in the test session uh, has proved that but Fabio was uh, putting in very good times as was Phil. Phil was feeling Fifth fastest of everybody, and that includes the hypercar drivers. There was only one hypercar drivers uh, driver faster than him in the afternoon session, and that was Mathieu Vaxivier. Uh, I I think that's a strong looking lineup again for a team that we know can deliver championships and big race wins
0: the always the interesting thing for me was uh, who was going to be brought in as the essential silver in LMB2 because they lost that after Phil Hansen and Philly Baubkirk won the title with Paul Resta last year so Phil has to become a gold he is therefore the the kind of ever present with Philly Baubkirk but you can no longer squeeze in Paul Resta. so who replaces Phil as the silver and Fabio Shearer, yeah is a very interesting addition to that team he did a season in DTM last year with Audi Sport Team WRT uh, managed to get one fastest lap along the way, but podiums eluded him in the races. But he's come uh, into the DTM campaign last year off the back of two uh, FIA Formula 3 seasons, and uh, before that, Formula 4. He's 21 and could be a bit of a star of the future. So (laughs) I'm going to be really looking forward to him getting behind the wheel of an LMP2. He's never done it before. Um, so, you know, throw him in at the deep end this weekend at Spa. Won't be required in qualifying because that rule has gone. You used to have to incorporate your silver as a two-driver combined time, mm. uh, but no longer. So um, Phil Hansen uh, may, may be put out for qualifying. He was for ELMS. So yeah. let's wait and see for Friday.
1: But Shara, in the afternoon session earlier on today, uh, was... Uh, what, 13th quickest. But here's the people he's quicker than. Now, you don't know what programme they were running, but even so, Gabby Aubrey, Andrea Negrao, Ben Hanley, Roberto Mary, Nick Devries, Roman Rusinoff, Renga van der Zander, uh, Frank Ocola, Pinto, Sean Gillel, Tatiana Calderon, Alex Brundle, Ollie Webb, Anthony Davidson. All all slower than Sharers Back Fastest Type. Now, as I say, there's a caveat. You don't know what programmes are being run through. I'd say that's a, a confident young driver uh, in that team. And I, I think we're going to have to keep our eyes very much peeled for what they do. Um, I mentioned Frank we'll Pinto, He's in the next car we're going to talk about. Uh, another young driving sensation. Argentinian, uh, burst has burst onto the scene, was effectively Rookie of the Year in the... Um, Asian Le Mans series those four races in what was it 10 days or so in the UAE he's a silver driver and he's teamed up with uh, Roman Rusinov who's now a gold of course has been for a wee while and Nick De Vries the platinum driver for the second of the Algarve Pro Racing and it's Orica uh, Gibsons Oris Gibsons Oricas um, the number 26 car now Roman we know on a good day is as good as any driver in even a gold category. Franco is super quick as a silver. Uh, Nick de Vries, yes, please. There's a car, again, you've got to be looking at because Roman will be shooting for the championship.
0: No doubt about it. Uh, And with some lessons learned from the opening race of the ELMS as well, when uh, Nick de Vries, who was his co-driver in Barcelona, took pole position and uh, it was down to Roman to dictate the pace on the rolling start, but uh, carnage ensued right behind him and he was eventually mm-hmm. done by the race officials for not being quick enough. I'd, I'd expect a little bit more from Roman Rusinov than to make these slightly schoolboy-type errors, but I suppose the good thing about this weekend is that he won't be at the very front of the field and will just be following the hypercars through. The 25, the 26 rather. will be very close to the front of LMP2 because I've no doubt that Nick de Fries will be put out for qualifying duty and, yes, you've got Philly Barberkirk or Phil Hanson. We'll wait and see. Um, but Nick may have enough to, to pip everyone to the post. He he really does like Spa as a racetrack. Uh, but uh, Roman Russov, yeah, multi-champion. In fact, the first ever Le Mans Series champion at GT level back in 2004 with JMB Racing. And he has been an FIA World Endurance champion with G-Drive Racing in 2015 as well at LMP2 level. So he is certainly capable of taking a championship. Uh, Nick de Vries uh, is an FIA Formula 2 champion just uh, season before last. Franco Colapinto, he's 17, for goodness sake, and he's already this fast. Uh, He's a a Spanish F4 champion from two years ago. um, And, you know, the sky's the limit for this kid, I think. Again, interesting that, that the focal point seems to be for an Argentinian, Europe at the moment, to make his name.
1: Yeah, and a lovely lad as well. We've had him on midweight Motorsport and... In speaking to him, and I did the interview on Zoom so I could see him as well, he is just such a happy, smiley person. And he clearly loves all motorsport and was very, very clear that whilst he's not turning his back completely on single-seater racing, he thinks the place to be for an up-and-coming driver, a 17-year-old driver, as you rightly say, JP, is in sports cars. And that is where the opportunity for a career-minded driver will be. I, 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 that just gladdens my heart. I tell you one thing, you've just brought something up there. Qualified in LMP2 is going to be absolutely outstanding, isn't it? It really is with
0: 14 cars <laughs> out there. Um, and, you know, there is a danger that that might overshadow what the, the hypercars are doing. Because yeah, well, I think no, it will. Almost definitely. <laughs> because you've got, you know, so much competition. Uh, everyone having to do the business in a short session as well. Um and a lot of people will think the the resulting hypercar for qualifying is a done deal already. But you, there's no way you can predict who's going to be on the no. front row in LMP2.
1: No. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Uh, Jota have two cars. They're both in the full Pro LMP2 class. Let's deal with the 28, first of all. Uh, that has Sean Galil. Uh, as a silver, and then two platinum drivers, and that's allowed in the full pro category. Stoffel Van Dorn, Belgian driver on home turf this weekend, and Tom Blomqvist. Uh, I, I look at that again, and we've seen what Sean Galil's done in single seaters. I think, um, yeah, all right, that's all very relevant experience. And Stoffel and Tom need no in- introduction. The 28 Jota car is, is another contender, Johnny. There's, there's no field fillers here. Not at
0: all. Jota are always going to pick a, a strong lineup, having had so much success in the past, and they, they want to continue that. Uh, Stoffel von Dorn, um, with a season and a bit in the top class when he raced with SMP Racing uh, in LMP1, as was. He's a former GP2 champion in 2015. And uh, then, of course, went on into Formula One with with McLaren. So, uh, yeah, very much a safe pair of hands. He's raced with Jota in the Asian Le Mans series this year. Um, And with possibly, you know, the single-seater campaign has has lost its way a little bit. I I, I would love him to to build a big name in the WEC. And there's no reason why, if he can really make his times count in LMP2, with potentially down the line some hypercar drives cropping up as more and more manufacturers privateers and factory teams are interested by the top class there may be a way back into that for Stoffel van Dorn, certainly uh, Tom Blomqvist uh, a Spa 24 hour winner with Horse Motorsport just three years ago and um, I remember being at Silverstone watching him compete in FIA Formula 3 in the past and thought he was very talented then. He subsequently became a DTM driver for BMW and also in the, the big GT races around the world for that brand. And another relationship that was built with Jota at the start of the year with Asian Le Mans Series. So that's continuing on into the WEC. And then Sean Galail, who is Jakarta-born, still only 24. It seems like his name's been around the single-seater world for, for yes. longer than that, actually. Uh, but um, he has raced in Formula One before, uh, in European Le Mans series when you go back to the SMP racing days in 2016. But this is actually sort of marking the end of a four-year spell uh, away from ACO Rules Racing. It started uh, the year with Asian, with Asian Le Mans again. So basically, Jota have brought their Asian Le Mans series lineup straight into the WEC, and therefore they hit the ground running as far as relationships and the team are concerned.
1: Yeah, what, what went wrong with Stoffel? Uh, and, mm. you know, just some maybe some bad career decisions. I, I, I'd like to see him do do well here. I, I, I do rate him as a driver. And I feel very old when I say Tom Blomkvist's name here because I'm pretty certain I commentated on him in Formula BMW in the UK when he was uh, making uh, his early moves in motor racing. The mighty 38 is back uh, in the hands of Jota. Uh, and it will be... For silver driver Roberto Gonzalez, the Mexican, and two platinums, Portuguese Antonio Felix de Costa, and true blue Brit, and I mean that in every sense of the word because he is quite fair skinned and a bit ginger. He'll not, well, he probably will mind me saying that. Anthony Davidson. Uh, Anthony was the fastest of the Jota drivers in the the morning session and Antonio Filius, Felix de Costa was the fastest in the afternoon session earlier on today. You would expect those two to go well. What about Roberto Gonzalez? How's he going to stand up to the pressure, JP?
0: Well, I think pretty well because he, he knows this championship inside and out. He mm-hmm. must have been in it for the last three years, and I can tell you that, but certainly the the combination of Gonzalez with Anthony Davidson is well recognised and Antonio Felix de Costa will slot in uh, no problem uh, as well. But um, yeah, Gonzalez is is the silver. I think he knows his position in the team. The responsibility of qualifying ha- has been taken away for this for this year, so that's uh, less of an issue. But having raced at Le Mans um, for Dragon Speed in 2019, he was with Jota for last year's running of the race, but has featured at Le Mans since 2016 and was actually part of the very first season of the World Endurance Championship in 2012 when he raced with Greaves Motorsport at the Brazilian race and that makes sense being a Mexican it's not uh, too far to, to cross uh, to Brazil to take part in Sao Paulo's event um, what uh, nine years ago now um, so th- th- that'll be fine because he knows the, knows Anthony Davidson and he will know a lot of people within the team as well Felix de Costa Uh, with his DTM experience and also racing in uh, BMWs at the GTE level, GT Le Mans as well, Uh, getting back to his prototype routes, if you like, or downforce routes. And Anthony Davidson has been a a stable part of, not necessarily the 38, but uh, with other crews in LMP2. Uh, And he will provide some guidance, if that's needed at this stage, for, for Roberto Gonzalez. I think someone... Uh, you know, any silver in this uh, field of, of cars is always learning, and I think you, you need to embrace the resources around you. Antonio and Anthony are great resources for that. Uh,
1: in Team WRT, uh, yes, that WRT, the thirty-one car, Belgian squad again, very much on home ground. Interesting setup here. Uh, the silver driver is the Frenchman Charles Millesi, uh who had a cracking session uh, in the morning uh, of Monday, the first test day. So earlier this morning, he was actually sixth quickest overall uh, and with a lot of big names, including Van Dorn uh, behind him. Best of Uh, the WRT drivers in the afternoon session was third quickest overall and just a couple of tenths away from Philip Albuquerque and that was Robin French who joins him in that car. The third name is Ferdinand Habsburg who's in that car with his uh, uh, drive fast, act faster Uh, initiative going on as well at the moment. He's a driver that's doing quite a lot of prototype racing this year, uh, has been featured in single-seaters in the past, uh, now making his move into prototype racing. WRT coming from all of their success in in GT uh, racing and coming from a success, of course, Johnny in the ELMS and on Voss talked to us on Midweek Motorsport uh, last week, saying, you know, we expect to, to do reasonably well uh, in ELMS. Maybe top four. We weren't expecting to win, but very interestingly, he's brought a lot of the uh, the crew that were doing uh, DTM into the prototype side of things, which probably says a lot about how those DTM cars looked underneath um, very much like a prototype car with a body thrown on them good point yes um, but the,
0: the, I suppose the difference between the ELMS campaign and this one is that it's three completely different drivers so you haven't got the the crossover that enables two different uh, campaigns to be run completely independently and I'm just looking up Robin Frein's CV, which is vast by the way, including a Bathurst 12-hour win in 2018. But he's never done Le Mans and he's never done any races in the World Endurance Championship but in any of the classes. So this is a new environment for the Maastricht man to encounter at 29 years old. And it's a bit of a gear shift as far as his campaign is concerned or his career is concerned. been focusing on Formula E in recent years and certainly his Audi duties in in DTM. Um, a GT and slash DTM sort of prototypes in a way. Uh, um, he's uh, you know very experienced in those, uh, an expert in those, but an area of motor racing he's probably wanted to infiltrate for a good while, uh, and this is finally his chance in, in 2021. Charles Millacy, who's nine years, his junior, has been to Le Mans with Graf SO24 last year, and I think in the previous year as well, so... Uh, when we get to Le Mans in August, it'll be his third time at uh, the great event. He's French, so he'll know all about the, the massive history of, of uh, the uh, of the FIA WEC and uh, the, the linchpin event as well. Um, and never really had time away from downforce cars because spent the time in F4, Formula Renault, then raced in Japan in Formula 3 as well. So Charles Mollesi, who is still only silver, Could be a very clever bit of business there at WRT, and you would expect nothing less, really, from those guys. And then you're looking at an Asian Le Mans Series champion in Ferdinand Habsburg after racing GTs in more recent years, but I remember several years in Formula 3
1: around Europe as well. A very, very talented boy. He wants to do well. Uh, And again, I've spoken to him recently on Midweek Motorsport. He's another person that I've got on very, very well with. Really big student of the sport, knows about what he's getting himself into, really enjoys what he's doing, loved that uh, Asian Le Mans campaign. Why wouldn't he? They did very well indeed. Uh, Finally, in the LMP2, in this 2021 FAA World Endurance Championship preview, uh, the last of the pro cars is that of the 34 Inter Europol competition Polish team with a Polish driver uh, Jakub Kuba uh, Smirkowski, along with Ranga van der Zander who's the gold and Alex Brundel so that's a silver and two golds here but when you've got two golds that are Renga van der Zander and Alex Brundel you've got to say that's a formidable lineup. That looks very good on paper because Kuba Smirkowski is,
0: is certainly a, a swift silver who knows a lot about LMP3, he's gradually learning more race on race about LMP2, uh, having first competed in the second prototype, second of the two prototype classes in 2018, when uh, they went to Le Mans um, and uh, into Europol competition, more recognised in LMP3, uh, moved up to the as far as they're concerned, the, the bigger prototype. Um, they have raced a Ligier in the past, but they acquired an Orica, I think, for last year because they did a few of the uh, the big Imsert races, including Petit Le Mans. They raced at Sebring, uh, the Twelve Hours last year too, which was the one obviously postponed from March and held much later on in the year as, as it uh, ended up. But uh, so two races already under their belts with the Orica, and that will be greatly received as far as the Polish uh, driver is concerned. 29 years old, Kuba very nice to, to chat to, engaging and uh, very enthusiastic as well about getting the inter Europol competition uh, team into the important mm. races around the world. And, you know, re- you're not going to tease Renge van der zander and Alex Brundle into a team unless they genuinely think that they can get race wins out of that car.
1: Yeah, Brundle isn't there to make up the numbers. He's a doughty not. competitor and he's very, very quick. He's uh, embarrassingly good at pretty much everything he turns his hand to, including when he's talking in commentary boxes uh, with with us, as he has done uh, in the past. I'm, I'm kind of thinking, and I'm looking again at the two-session results from today, JP. We might have to, in the opening races, be, be looking at the prototype category as effectively 17 cars. Because when you look down... Let's look at the afternoon session when people had sort of got themselves dialed in. Um, it was Albuquerque, uh, Albuquerque from Von from Freins, from Vaxvier, from Hansen, from Duval. Then Kaz Nakajima and Sebuemi from the 8 Toyota Gazoo Racing Car. Then Antonio Felix Da Costa. Then Norman Nato, Guido van der Gaarde, Nico Lapierre, Fabio Scherer, Gabby Aubrey. Then Negrau from the Alpine. Hypercar, Malazy, Handley. I mean, there's some big names that are well down there. And we're talking about... We're already, those names, over a second away from the fastest times. Uh, this is interesting to me, and... I can't imagine that the ACO will allow this to happen, that the P two cars look on paper as quick as the P ones for very long. But we might I wish they did, but but clearly they can't have that because it just doesn't it's not the right optic, is it? But for the first race or two, we might have a situation where effectively we've got a seventeen car pro, pro field split into three classes or subclasses. They're not going to get it
0: right at the first round, and I don't think they're going to get it right at the first three rounds either. And, and are they just fine-tuning things to be correct for Le Mans? Um, yes, what good I, what point. I'm Very en- good point. What I'm encouraged by is, yeah, there are some slightly larger gaps, but the larger gaps are two-tenths of a second between one car and another. And on two occasions, I can see one-thousandth of a second separating uh, the top two, United from Racing Team Nederland, and a little bit further down, we've got the same increment again uh, between a hypercar and an LMP two machine. So, um, I think this is the pattern of play. Actually, it's too late now. It's too close to Spa to adjust it that massively. And then, you know, we'll be straight into Portimao and Monza with the travelling to think about as well. And the last thing that the teams want are bulletin upon bulletin of more changes that need to take place for the for the car. But they will be gathering information. It's been fairly low on the ground because of you know the, the, the late. Um, preparation, the late uh, formation of of the car uh, at Toyota, although it's been in the planning for a number of years, but you know until the ACO can actually see it and glean data from it actively, that's at the point when things can start to be adjusted. You've got the Alpine, which they might have a bit of information on for last year's version, but will have changed since then. Mm-hmm. So it's something that they're just going to have to live with for the first first race or two, possibly three, and then try and get it right for for August.
1: I could spend an hour talking about those two timesheets that are in front of me at the moment from the the first morning and afternoon of of the prologue. And again, with the massive, massive caveat of we, we don't know what programs were were going on there. But I really urge you to go to the Alkamel system A L K M E L Systems dot com. The results are there. You can print out the sheets or you can look at them on your screen. Have a look at the classification by driver fastest lap and see the names, and the thing I'm looking at is where teammates are very close together. So, Andy Davidson, Roberto Gonzalez for the 38 car, very close together. 26G drive car, Nick de Vries, Roman Rusinov, very close together. Have a look at that, and then you get you build not just the fastest time for the car, but where the car's got consistency between the drivers and speed between the drivers. Um, it, it's a worthwhile exercise before qualifying On Friday, and the race is on Saturday. Remember, as tradition dictates, uh, at Spa Francorchamps. Right, we're about halfway through Uh, our look at the 2021 season, uh, and particularly the Spa season opener for the FIA WEC. Johnny Palmer is with me. John Hindhoff. Let's move into the GTE uh, classes. So the, the the Grand Touring categories. Sadly, only five Pro enters here, but the good news is that we've got a Corvette, and it's going to be the only outing for this car before Le Mans. They were hoping to do two rounds, but with the cancellation of the earlier date for Portimao over Easter weekend, it now... uh, can't happen that they can get there. Tonio Garcia, who will be a part of the two Le Mans cars, fingers crossed that that all happens in the way we expect it to be. He is paired up with Ollie Gavin. Ollie brought back, having uh, lost his seat effectively with the factory uh, team uh, at the end of last season. Uh, his Tenure with them was over, and amazingly, these two have never been paired together for Corvette. And this is the first European sighting of the C8R, which swept much before it, pretty much all before it, in its debut year in the LMS, uh, in the LMS, excuse me, in the uh, IMSA Championship last season. It wears the evocative number 63. This will be important not just for the team. Antonio Garcia uh, as well, JP, but also for the WEC and the ACO to gather some data on that car as we go towards uh, Le Mans later in the year.
0: Yeah, and uh, I read that it's been given a slightly favourable, more favourable balance of performance than its last outing in this championship, which was uh, Cota last year, I think. Um, which but, is the
1: old car, wasn't it? That wasn't the new car.
0: Um, well, Ooh, we, would have been, we would have been Ooh, at the yeah. new car stage by that point. I'll Good to, call. I'll yes, it was. It you know, result. you're right.
1: This is the first time we've seen it in Europe, which is what I said, which is right. Yes. I've had completely forgotten about quarter uh, last year, getting slotted in there. Yeah, okay, fair point. Well made.
0: <laughs> Inadvertently, but uh, we got there in the end. Um, it's an interesting point that you raised that these two have never raced together in the same car with each other, but we're dealing with uh, the um, GTLM champion, from last year, Ternio Garcia. Uh, brilliant to have him, you know, not quite back at home in Spain. He's originally from Madrid, but um, not f- too far away in Belgium. Um, and a-, a bit of a stranger to-, to racing in Europe, bar the annual 24 Hours of Le Mans. So mm-hmm. uh, that's, Good fun to, to have him uh, with us now. And I'm uh, just trying, trying to work out whether he's always raced at the 24 Hours of Spa. So, therefore, we'll have recent experience of the race. He certainly raced with WRT. Yeah, did it in 2017, the Spa 24 Hours, in fact, in an Audi for WRT. So, um, the, the track will be pretty fresh in his mind. He'll pick it up, no problem. Of course, a man of his calibre. And um, good to have Oli Gavin back at the wheel of uh, the massively new Corvette. Massively revved up for it. I'm sure OG he is.
1: is massively revved up for this.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean he will have driven this new Corvette, but not in competition because...
1: No, no, he, he, he raced it all last season. All oh, last year, okay. I, I was yeah, tra- he raced can't... it all last year and he had, a, he had a pretty average year by Ollie's standard and he had a horrible last race for Corvette at Sebring. Pretty much everything that could have gone wrong went wrong with his car. Right. And it wasn't the way he wanted to step out. So to have... A second swan song, if you like, or at, or at least a second opportunity to have his last race, uh, if that makes any sense, in the c 8 I, He's absolutely relishing it and he, he can't wait to get there. He loves Spa. Uh, it's a track he's been quick at uh, when he's been there in, in various other things in the past. All uh, drivers like Spa because they, they they like to think that they can make a difference. and I, I think that'll be a strong pairing here. I really do. Yeah, I, I see no
0: issues with it whatsoever. And the nice thing is, they're going to be running twenty-five kilos lighter than the other cars in their class. Um, and I think there's a change in the restrictor as well, which uh, results in potentially more power for the the Corvette too. Um, with the Ferrari that we'll move on to in a second, turbocharged. But the the Corvette and the Porsche are normally aspirated. So it's difficult to balance them, particularly with you know quite a bit of data knocking around for the Porsches and the Ferraris, but less so for the Corvettes. So they may well have to draw on, because the Corvettes weren't Sorry, at the So did Mont you last say the
1: Corvette is, is, is
0: turbocharged? Well, I thought it was, but I'm reading here that it's naturally aspirated. Is it turbocharged uh, these days?
1: Oh, now you've thrown me <laughs> yeah. uh, a curveball. Um, okay, I'll I'll I retract that, uh, just in case. <laughs> what I need um, I, is the official document from the ACO uh,
0: with yeah. with the turbo amounts on there. But um, turbocharged Ferrari, naturally aspirated Porsche and Corvette is what I read, and I didn't have a okay. chance to cross check that. Uh, there's a, a you always talk about the, uh, the the flat plane something that is in the new Corvette, which gives it a very different sound. But the I, I, I still I still think that it's a an NA uh, power unit, but we will double check that uh, prior to the weekend. However, um, I think I think it could do okay because there's a slight bit of friendliness being given to it from the ACO. As I say, the Corvettes were not able to get to last year's Le Mans logistical du- uh, problems with that, so they've basically got data from COTA last year, and then anything that IMSA were willing to give them. But it's a little bit scratching around in the dark here to know what sort of level to, to to give the Corvette compared to two two other cars that they know very very well. But I think it's exciting times for Corvette, and it, they will be grateful that they've run at Spa
1: when we get to Le Mans. I think. Uh, it, it it is a it is a turbo. I'm I'm pretty certain it's a turbo. Okay. Um. That that I, I've I've got a feeling it's a hot V turbo as well, which is which is why I, I thought that. If I'm wrong, um, by all means, tweet, uh, tweet in at RSL Studio. I, but I, I was absolutely certain that there was some consternation about how that car sounded and that it was a hot V turbo. Anyway, the Ferrari is absolutely certainly a turbo. has been uh, since the introduction of the 488 GTE. We're now at the Evo version. There's two here, uh, 51 and 52. Uh AF Corsa. Ferrari, for the moment, of course, don't have a works racing team, and Amato Ferrari is no relation to the Ferrari brand. That's the AF and AF Corsa. But if they did have a works team, it would look very much like AF Corsa, because Amato runs a very, very tight ship indeed. And Alessandro Perghidi and James Collado team up in the 51 and the 52. Daniel Serra and Miguel Molina. There are no weak links in either the cars or the drivers right there.
0: And the interest is with the addition of of Daniel Serra. That's the major change. Oh, and Molina coming in as well, actually. So I think it's all changed at 52, but uh, they are two drivers that are long recognised as practically being factory drivers. You know, you talk about AF Corsa not actually being a factory team, but it sort of is. And these guys uh, are driving Ferraris um, around the world and sort of plug-and-play Platinum drivers, they're both Platinums as James Collado and Alessandro Pierre Guidi are but um, 51 might have a slight advantage because there is no shake up in the driving line up there, they're sticking with the 488 GTE Evo so I don't think a great deal has changed on the car year on year whereas coming into last year there was you know, was a fully sort of redeveloped machine um, but they'll be relishing again the chance to get their teeth into circuits they know very well there's not a great deal of change on the calendar, so uh, the data will all be there in place for of Corsa, and no weak links, as you say. Very strong lineup uh, that has been uh, brought
1: to the table by the Italian squad. Uh, the, uh, I, I think it's good that Ferrari has a competitive car. Uh, we know that they're in, uh, interested in hypercar, and they want to bring something to the table there. Uh, they are being very clever about what they're doing with their resources from the Formula One team. And I have no issue with that if it brings Ferrari to the table for for WBC. I was saying at the weekend, funny enough, in the coverage that we did of the Monaco Historic Grand Prix, Ferrari are one of the the manufacturers that are just as historically relevant in sports cars as they are in F1. And the thought that Ferrari comes back to the top class is great. I think it building on success, hopefully, from the 488, that would be a very, very good omen for them. And there's always politics involved when Ferrari uh, are involved, internal as well as external politics. Uh, I, I hope F Corsa, Amato's team, does does well this year. Of course, my flat six heart are with the two RSR 19s. And I, I make no apologies for saying that that the sound of a flat six uh, does something to my pulse rate. Uh, the RSR19s, uh, much like all the cars in this category, effectively uh, prototype GTs. Uh, they have very little in common with their road going counterparts. 91 and 92 this year, Jammery Bruni, Jimmy Bruni and Ricard Leitz in one, Kevin Estra and Neil Johnny, the full season drivers uh, in the other. The 19 tells you when that car came out, so it's not in the first flush of youth, the Corvette, by far the youngest car in that field, but it is still a formidable weapon and there's something about a 911 at Spa that seems to work, Johnny, and Early points for what is now the only Porsche Works racing team in endurance racing, uh, the Porsche GT team in WEC. Early points in the season uh, could do them the power of good for the championship.
0: Yeah, uh, they started last campaign pretty well and uh, then sort of struggled partway through it. But um, yeah, nice thing about this is that with the the one and the nine at the end of the car name, the development work that that was started at Silverstone in September 2019 and that's actually continued on all the way through to the end of last season which spanned about uh, what's it 16 months in the end into next into the new season um they will know this car inside and out now it's got actually got a 4.2 liter flat 6 bizarrely because yes. they were able to extract even more Power out of it,
1: um, and still it, it's sounds. It's something glorious. like four four thousand one hundred and something bizarre, like eighty-two or ninety-two. And when I asked the guys about that, I said, "That's a you know, that's an odd. Is, is there something about that? Is that was that arbitrary? Is that just a Porsche thing? You know what? What was that? About? We literally cannot make it any bigger. <laughs> there will not be uh, if if four point two. One, because we cannot get the bores any closer together in that flat six, uh, in that boxer six engine. And it's like, oh, I see. And bear in mind that the the road cars are still only at four litres. The, the new GT3 992 is still only at four litres, although revs round in a road car to 9,000 revs, uh, which is the, the same spec as the previous car. There is nothing more to come in terms of capacity, at least, from from that engine. Completely. They, they will have uh, thought all sorts of different approaches
0: in order to do so, but no, they've reached the very limit now. Um, the other interesting thing for me is that there's been a change certainly with one driver. Now, Jean-Marie Bruni and Ricard Leitz were in the 91 last year, so that remains fixed. Kevin Estra stays. No longer does Michael Christensen continue, though, in the 92. And Neil Jani, with all his experience in the 919 hybrid, stepping down, in inverted commas, to, uh, to a GT car. But Neil Jani will be electric in that machine. And, um, you know, I'm going to delight in... Uh, observing his stints of which there will be several because um, I think they'll stay at two drivers even for the eight hour races there are at the moment two planned eight hour races as part of the WEC campaign Spa is six hours so no problem cycling through uh, drivers probably on single stints you would think for uh, for the GT cars they can do about an hour uh, so just cycle through driver one, driver two to the, to the finish um, and who will get the last stint
1: don't know We'll wait and see. Uh, tough to call, isn't it, that class, even with the addition of uh, of Corvette this weekend. In, in terms of testing times, Kevin Estra from James Collado, Collado from uh, Antonio Fuerco. Hang on. Let's see. Uh, where's that po- Ah I see. That was a that was an AM car. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then Tonio Garcia, then Richard Leitz then Matt Campbell, then Matteo Caroli, then Nicholas Nelson. That was the morning session. Uh, so some AMCARs mixed in there. Estra, Molina, Cairoli, Bruni, Johnny, Collado. Pair Gidi, Garcia, Ollie Gavin, very close together in the afternoon session. Uh, which brings us on to the GTE arms. There are 13 of them. And from me reading the times there from the two sessions earlier on today, there is there is really now no reason why... A Pro or even a a good semi-Pro can't be as quick as any of those GT Pro cars because other than the Corvette, which is an outlier anyway and unique in the entry, uh, all of the other cars have caught up with the evolutions uh, uh, of the the pro cars johnny so we've got the 19s in the hands of the private teams we've got the 488 evos in the hands of teams so there should be no reason why uh, a silver or a gold driver can't be as quick uh, as as any of the gte pro lot no exactly because when the balance of performance comes out it
0: is identical across gt pro and gt am Mm. cars because um as far as the driver championship is concerned am am drivers can score the same points as pros and yes. do of course and there's actually nothing to rule out it, it would be, it would be a bizarre season but actually for a, for an am driver crew to
1: win the outright title in GT um, because and they it, score points for the manufacturers championship. It's the top finishing do. cars. Yeah, from from either either category. So yeah, absolutely right. Now you'll notice in GT Pro we didn't mention Aston Martin. They don't have any works entered cars anymore, but they are featured, and there's a trio of them in. Uh, The GTE uh, AM, Uh, two of them are effectively run by Tom Furrier's team, TF Sport, the number 33 for Ben Keating, Dylan Pereira and Felipe Fraga and the D-Station 777 car uh, for Satoshi Hoshino, uh, Tominobu Fuji and Andrew Watson. And I think both of those cars had uh, issues in the morning session today.
0: Yeah, um, and both in the Radeon vicinity. Uh, I think Ben was at the wheel of the 33 when he had a moment at Eau Rouge, and unfortunately, at such a high-speed section of the Spa-Francorchamps circuit, it's often not a small incident that happens no. either. Uh, so, TF Sport car needing to be fixed, and then the, the TF Sport run D-Station racing car with Satoshi Hoshino at the wheel. He had a pretty significant crash at um to the same sort of area, Eau Rouge, into Radion, so much so that the session had to be brought to an end, and the afternoon session was uh, started half an hour early because they had to repair a, at least one tyre wall. Correct. So a lot of work for Tom Ferry's crew to do, not one but two heavily damaged cars, and I have to say the photographs of, I think, the D-Station racing car do not look too yeah, good I saw at those. all. Yeah,
1: I saw those, yeah. So I'd, be,
0: I'd um, actually be surprised if that... <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if the car's not in the race this weekend but but it really depends on how readily Tom can get parts to the track if if it extends beyond what they've already got in the trucks on site already
1: I'll put something out there with no works cars racing this year there will be spare full cars yes. around in, in the vicinity of Bambury and its environs. Good point. Just saying. Might be easier to try and wangle another car out of AMR. Uh, let's assume that all is well. What do we reckon? Let's take the 33 car first. Ben Keating uh, has uh, some unfinished business with uh, ACO Rules Racing, particularly, of course, uh, uh, at Le Mans, uh, as does Paul De La Lana, who we'll talk about in a moment, who's the, the third of the Aston Martins. But let's say the 33 first. Ben, Dylan and Felipe.
0: Yeah, I'm scanning through Ben's back catalogue of GT cars that he has driven in the past. <laughs> and ah, now he has driven a TF Sport Aston at Daytona this year. Um, yes. But that was GTD. So therefore Correct. GT3 rules. Whether he's driven a, a, a GT, uh, E Aston uh, I think this might be his first experience. He's no stranger to big front-engined GT cars, with his days in the Riley Mercedes and prior to that, the Riley Viper. Um, yeah, correct. So, and know, he's
1: done GTE, of course, with the with the Ford Porsches. GT. Uh, uh, yes. and the Ford GT and uh, the Ford GT
0: yeah. which of course he famously took to Le Mans and they were in a cracking position to win that race crossed uh, the line cross the line as, 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 winner, the, yes. as, as the leading car so he's
1: had front, middle and rear so yeah. you know he's ticked all the boxes now so he might as well just get another set of overalls <laughs> exactly and he, he's probably sold all of these
0: cars from, a show, from one of his many showrooms around the US <laughs> too so uh, although he's a Ford man through and through there will be some he ties is. to Aston Martin as well for the Texan so Great to he see. He was him. the
1: biggest fibre dealer in the world for a while. I wouldn't be surprised. As yeah. well, yeah. He he specialised in that. He's a lovely bloke, and I could listen to him talking all day. He's got a super accent. I think he's a better driver than often even himself gives credit for. Um, when he gets into a groove and settles down and finds himself in in a, uh, a rhythm he is extremely consistent he doesn't get in people's way he's quick enough to be competitive and i uh, i i think as i th- see he doesn't give himself enough credit to be honest
0: no he's very understated um and yes quiet he, man in every I, sense I think of the word yes good he realizes his place in the team but but it's actually bigger than than he thinks um in terms of his responsibility to get good race results. And, and they're no stranger to certainly podiums and, and wins along the way as well. Um, and, you know, with not that many Astons in the lineup, up you, you might feel you're up against it, but it's sort of the same mentality that I'm sure ALC Bratislava are taking in the lmp 2 category. We've got something different, which might actually be the key to success. And, uh, you know, they're up against the Aston Martin Racing factory team, but the next best Aston preparer in this type of racing is has become TF Sport. So there'll be no mm. corners cut there, and there may even be a little bit of crossover, actually, for the engineering uh, side of things. So, yeah, I, I think Ben could be on to some very good results this year, and he's kept some stability alongside him in Felipe Fraga, the Brazilian stock car star, uh, who has raced the Porsche in the past with Pro- Team Project 1, uh, the 25-year-old Brazilian, who is a, a former GT champion with ACA ASP. And then you've got Dylan Pereira, who from Luxembourg's only 23 years old, but has done a few races now with Ben, again in the Team Project 1 Porsche. Uh, they did Le Mans together last year, I think, and they certainly did Bahrain, the second version of Bahrain in last year's very long championship uh, in the 57 Porsche. So that, I think, as far as Dylan's Uh, point of view is concerned was almost an audition process to say we're looking for a driver next year can you be good enough and obviously he's passed all the tests
1: yeah absolutely Uh, thank you to everybody who have tweeted in by the way um Johnny, you were right. The C8R is naturally aspirated. I was looking at in uh, information where people were speculating whether it was twin turbo, but it is the flat plane crank 5.5 litre. So everybody who's tweeted in uh, to at RSL underscore studio, I, I take my penance and I bow down to, to JP, um, Around about 500 horsepower for that direct injection dry sumped uh, version of the 5.5 or 336 cubic inches uh, if you prefer uh, the other d station car the other tf cars the d station racing car uh, satoshi hushino tomonubu fuji and andrew watson um, now which one is it? i can't remember is it satoshi or tomonubu it's tomonubu who is d station isn't it yes I think yes yeah no no I I, I think I, you're right
0: because Hoshino's driven Porsche's before for proton competition and they haven't carried correct. any D station on them so yeah yeah by process of elimination uh, it will be uh, Tomonobu Fuji who is the sponsor effectively in that so Toshi Hoshino uh, raced in has raced in the 24h series a couple of times actually Uh, again with D-Station. So I think the friendship, partnership with Tomonobu goes back a little way. He's raced with um, Dempsey Proton, as I say, in a couple of races in the 2018-2019 season of the WEC. And he was also on the grid for last year's race at Fuji in the 88 Porsche. I remember the 88 throughout last year, had an almost constantly changing lineup, but he was uh, driving with Adrian Delina and Thomas Prining with Satoshi Hoshino. Uh, Tomonobo Fuji, I don't know whether he's done uh, much racing in this championship. He's featured many times in some big races, for instance, the Daytona 24 hours, the Nürburgring 24, Dubai as well, um, and Super GT. So that's where he brings the, station racing name from after Mm. a season in GT300 in Super GT, raced in Asian Le Mans series as well, Uh, but this is... uh, Bizarrely, he's done the test day at Le Mans, but I don't think... He may not have... uh, Although it may have started the Le Mans 24 Hours, not necessarily got to the end or not didn't get a full entry that particular year, but did a, a test day in 2015, uh, gold graded, uh, 40 years old and um, vastly experienced in GT300 um, in Japan. So um, looking forward to seeing how he gets on. And then Andrew Watson, who has become a you know from the sort of junior program that has run at Aston Martin a bit of a, a star. Uh, after previously racing with McLaren but has been signed with Aston for the last few years now and very reliable silver rated driver Uh, just hasn't had the big title yet to bump him up a grade but did a full season of ELMS last year with Golf Racing um, in a Porsche so he'll have to get uh, used to... uh, the, the Aston in GTE format again, but it's an interesting they deal. It. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was an interesting deal that he's got with Aston because obviously there's a little bit of wriggle room that allows him to compete with other manufacturers uh, after competing with Aston Martin Racing at, at Daytona at
1: the start of last year in a GTD car. The other Aston Martin is the number 98, which is a traditional Aston Martin Works team number. It's entered as Aston Martin Racing, but of course. It isn't really Aston Martin Racing, is it? It's Paul Dallalana. Uh, he's got the Vantage AMR, the latest spec. He's once again with Augusto Farfus, who he's driven with before, certainly in in IMSA. Augusto, who we had until relatively recently been associating with BMW. And Marcos Gomes, the Brazilian silver driver, is in there. So platinum, silver and bronze. And Paul, a bit like Ben, actually, unfinished business, particularly at Le Mans. Yeah
0: um a
1: champion in the world endurance championship uh
0: four years ago but um there are those years or those times at Le Mans when Paul's been in a great position and something has gone wrong uh mm-hmm. either with him at the wheel or something completely out of his control and and I mean, the one thing I love is just the persistence to kind of keep going back to that big race to to get success again there um but he knows how to win this title, crucially, and it's about being consistent, particularly now we're down to just six races. The last time he won it, there were actually nine, which I think is the highest we've ever had in the World Endurance Championship, where we were visiting Kota as well as Mexico City, Fuji and Shanghai. Very busy year and plenty of points on offer. They're not going to have that uh, this time around. Uh, but he's got a strong lineup alongside him because uh, more and more established in an Aston Martin is Augusto Farfus after his year's, in the World Touring Car Championship and then on into DTM and then was signed, of course, by BMW to run at Le Mans with Team Mtech and with RLL in the States at Daytona, Sebring, Petit, Le Mans. So um, he knows the Aston uh, and he's very, very quick in it. And Marcus Gomez, fellow Brazilian, uh, a champion in the Asian Le Mans series with Hub Auto Corsa at GT level uh, and also r- runs with that team, at big events like Spa. He's also in the, the um, Brazilian Stock Car Series, similar to Felipe Fraga. So keeping busy, I think it's fair to say, um, has done Daytona this year as well. And the 36-year-old will bring a lot of stability to that team
1: as a, another sneaky silver. There are so many in the entry. The rest of the GTE Am are split uh, 5 and 5 between Porsche and Ferrari. Uh, let's take the Porsches first this time. It's 46 and 56. Our team Project 1. Let's take the lower number first. Dennis Olsen, gold driver from Norway. Anders Bukard from uh, Norway as well. He's the bronze. And Axel Jeffries, the silver uh, British driver. Uh, with the latest spec car, rsr 19.
0: Yeah, so how will the team adapt to the uh, more updated car? I think very well because the you know the the layout stays pretty much the same, but there are significant upgrades to it. So maybe a oh, little yes. bit of yeah, a little bit of pace to unlock for the team, um, and that's why the the prologue will be useful to them to try and get as much running as possible, and then they'll learn about it in the race. But if it's a proven race winner in GT Pro, certainly capable of
1: of doing the same in AM. A lot of the things jp the, the changes to the cars, yes, some of them are performance based but others were serviceability um, in in the nine to, on the nineteen, which it makes life a lot easier for private air teams to run them uh, the way components can be replaced in endurance races or after accident damage, access to things uh, there 's some driver comfort additions are uh, more um, uh, more adjustments aerodynamically and things like that, so that you can tune the car a little bit more. Now, all right, you could disappear down the plug hole if you're not careful, but it's not just about out and out speed. It's about how you run the car and how much easier it is to service the car as well. It's a, a real. It's been a real interesting journey for that. Uh, that new newer version of the the rsr um it it keeps the same drive line with the engine and the gearbox reversed from your standard 911 so uh, the uh, en- the engine and the gearbox the, the gearbox now behind the engine and that again makes the uh, r- the diffuser underneath the back of the car that gives that efficiency that's why they swapped it round in the first place and they've steered with that on the 19 yeah Well, you make a good point
0: there. So, therefore, Team Project 1, who are no stranger to a Porsche Cup car with their running in Carrera Cup, Deutschland, and uh, probably some Super Cup races along the way too, um, you know, the mechanics will know where everything is. It's just just not necessarily in the right order. (laughs) <laughs> as far as the rear of the car is concerned um, yes good let, point let's remember that dennis olsen was part of that very famous win at bathurst in the 12 hours in 2019 when matt campbell had that ridiculous end to the race for elbama motorsport mm. but dennis was in the lineup he's also an international gt champion with fricadelli racing so if you like he's the porsche specialist uh, in amongst those guys. Axel Jeffries uh, most recently has been racing with Conrad Motorsport in Germany uh, in Lamborghinis. He's also a Lamborghini mm. uh, Super Trofeo Pro-Am champion with Conrad. So that's the only question mark for me for the Zimbabwean is how quickly he adjusts to the new, the new car. But uh, it'll be very quick, I'm sure. He's the silver. And then Anders Buchart, also from Norway, as you said, um, was racing in the late noughties and early 2010s, but then had a pause. He was really limiting himself to the Nürburgring 24 hours, uh, but Mm. has recently raced with Valkenhorst Motorsport, so that will be in BMWs in the Spa 24 um, so he had a spell out for about six or seven years, then came back in 18 and 19, but didn't do any racing last year. So, uh, and you know there'll be plenty of people that didn't race in 2020. Uh, so back with a, a bit of a bang with um, a very high profile profile entry into GTE Am in the WEC.
1: Uh, there's uh, well, that's not well is it uh, I was going to say there's another Norwegian driver listed in the 56 team project one car Aguidio Perfetti he's with a couple of Italians Matteo Cairoli and Riccardo Pera
0: yeah Perfetti's always had the the Norwegian nationality despite actually being born in Serengo in Switzerland and if you speak yes. to him he sounds very Italian actually in accent but I think yes. it's a Swiss Italy border very close to home and will have spent some time in, in uh, Italy as well but
1: uh, he is is a that a Norwegian license that he runs on there? No, no. Because he, he, he Axel Jeffries is listed as GPR and he's from Zimbabwe, isn't he? Originally, but he spent
0: a long time in the UK, um, okay. So might actually now have dual nationality. But I think I'm right in saying that uh, Iggyio Perfetti actually has the Norwegian, the flag of Norway, on the belt as well. Um, All right. Yeah. So, but he is a, a former champion in the, the FIA WEC at this level, GTE and with Team Project 1. So uh, they are capable of winning the title. They did that in the season that spanned 2018 and 2019. Giorgio, uh, sorry, wrong line. Uh, Next to him, Matteo Cairoli. Enough said, really. I mean, again, another Porsche specialist, uh, knows how to win races, has had a long time with Proton Competition, so uh, but now is with Team Project 1 and has been uh, for a little while. So there'll be no introductions that need to be made there and ricardo perra is getting faster for me he's still labeled as a, a silver which i get the feeling won't be the case for too much longer <laughs> could that be at the end of the year 21 years old from luca in italy and he's a former uh, italia gt champion in their cayman cup class but has been to le mans twice uh, so there's there's no problem there at all for ricardo
1: Two Dempsey brought on racing Porsches. Uh, They're. That... Traditional numbers as well, 77 and 88. Let's take the 77 first. A couple of Antipodeans. Their goal driver is Matt Campbell. Very well thought of by Porsche in Germany. They've supported his career, won the Carrera Cup uh, in Australia. Jackson Evans is a New Zealander. He's the silver driver. Very well thought- In fact, everything I've just said about Matt, you can pretty much reprise for, for Jackson as well. And with them, the bronze German driver and the only now ever present since the start of the current run of the FIA World Endurance Championship, Christian Reed. That's the 77 car.
0: Yeah, no, no real surprises in this car, and uh, that, that'll be the way that Christian likes it. I don't think, you know, th- there are no names that you have to go, oh, oh, who's that then? I've not heard of them, because he <laughs> knows how to make a strong lineup up and... Uh, uh, you know, getting the commitment of Matt Campbell, who basically spends all his time in Germany these days anyway, despite being mm-hmm. from Australia originally. But it's, it's, from his point of view, probably good in the current situation to be based in Europe. Uh, Jackson Evans, likewise, has probably decamped to uh, the to German, um, German area and uh, therefore with an ELMS and a WEC campaign will be kept very busy indeed. And Christian Reed, who basically runs... The uh, the Dempsey Proton Racing uh, team, uh, he knows his place in the in the team because he'll start most of the races. But he's not flustered by that. It's always pretty busy, I particularly if the car if the car's been qualified well, which it will be by probably Matt. Um, he can be comfortable in the traffic. He's not overawed by it because he's been there so many times. Um, and I think he'll be. He's a w- solid pair of hands, mate. Is well, what you're saying. I think he'll actually adjust to the different speed differentials very quickly because they haven't been the same since 2012, and we're talking about how the rate of knots that LMP2s might be catching him. Well, it'll be slower now.
1: Um, yeah, good point. And you've got and, the, be- and the top class is slower still. Yeah, exactly, so point. so
0: yeah. y- yes you're going to be lapped but there might be times when you're going, going into corners and uh, you're approaching them far more quickly than you have done in previous years and I think Christian will adapt to that very quickly purely because he's done so many races before.
1: The uh, 88 car is goal driver uh, Alessio Picarello Belgian flag on his race suit. was Seyfried, uh, silver driver, one-time Porsche young driver. Not sure if he's still on that list. They had a bit of a culling, uh, what, 18 months or so ago. And the second, and this must be surely the first time we've had two Indonesian flag drivers on a WEC entry list, Andrew Haryanto is their bronze.
0: Yeah, um, uh, an interesting uh, lineup this one. And I'm excited to see how they they get on, because there are one or two names that I I don't know a great deal about, but um, I think they could be, they will always be strong because they've been signed by Dempsey Proton Racing and they know how to make a a team work. Um, Andrew Harrianto, um, who has sort of put the project together as far as I can see it, but Alessio Picariello, mightily impressive last year in the European Le Mans series, Won the championship along with his co-drivers by an absolute whisker because he and the team from Kessel, the Ferrari crew, finished on 99 points. He had six drivers all on 99 points, and it had to go back to uh, the count back of, I think, a one-fourth place that uh, Kessel hadn't managed yes, and right. Proton had. So, uh, um, But they got the title, crucially, and therefore he gets his gold status. That might have... Limited his options heading into season 2021, but thankfully he was already with Proton, and they have said, Well, we can get you into a WEC team, you can be the star man with the qualifying duties, and we'll find a team that fits around you. Amazingly, Marco Siefried still only rated as a silver by the FIA, so he will find a home there with no issues at all. And then the 43-year-old Indonesian, who is a double champion previously in Lamborghinis and the Audi R8 Jan Seifert LMS Cup. uh, 2018, he won that. So no stranger to getting trophies, but these are, you know, much pacier cars
1: that will take some adjusting too. And Mark, with Seifert, is obviously uh, still blessed by Porsche because I've just looked him up and he's the driver coach for the 2021 uh, Super Cup. So he's still on the Porsche payroll. So that's a very good hire uh, in that car. The final of the five Porsches is the number 86. It's a British flag team. GR Racing, we've seen them as other things in the past. Uh, it will come as no surprise to know that uh, Ben Barker, gold driver, and Mike Michael Wainwright, Mike Wainwright, the bronze, uh, are together again, joined by silver driver Tom Gamble. And again, that looks a, a sharp outfit. They've had to deal with the departure, however
0: that occurred, of Andrew Watson, who was racing with Ben and Mike for all of last year. But t- Tom Gamble, who uh, came through the ranks in the UK, in Genetas and then on into Formula 3, but uh, in 2019 became part of the TF Sports entry in the Michelin Le Mans Cup, along with a British GT campaign. But, I mean, really last year, everyone realised who he was in the European Le Mans Series paddock because he was the champion in ELMS at LMP3 level um, and now gets the chance to drive... GTs in the World Endurance Championship. So uh, Tom Gamble, the silver, and interestingly, yeah, you wouldn't become a gold-rated driver from an LMP3 title. If he'd taken the equivalent in P2, he might then have had a problem in finding a drive in uh, GTE Am. Uh, But, um, I mean, that is possible this year because he's been moved up to the LMP2 level of United Autosports now for ELMS. So let's see how he gets on this year. But uh, remaining a silver... Therefore, he can be also employed by GR Racing and basically Mike Wainwright's team, who uh, ran as Golf Racing last year, um, but with minus the Golf livery. And I'm expecting that Porsche to be, again, all in black with a little orange piping here and there. Look very swelled and very striking indeed. Uh, and Mike Wainwright, Ben Barker, know, have known each other, been driving with each other for a long time. So um, that's a, a solid relationship. And Tom will be great in there, too.
1: Yeah. Uh, and just a note as well, for Friday qualifying, the GTEs will qualify together, won't they? There's no separate session for pro and up. That's correct, yes. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Uh, so let's head on so to the Ferrari. It's a session, basically. With, oh, um, yes, very. 18 cars. That is the busiest, isn't it? Because the... Or do the prototypes all go out? As, as, they should do as, one as well. Yeah. All right, okay. So that's seventeen and eighteen. Still the busiest session, as you rightly rightly say. Uh, Chetilar Racing is the first of the um, Ferrari teams that we're going to talk about. They've got the forty seven car uh, for Gold Antonio Fuoco and Silver Sergio uh, Giorgio Giotto. Or Sergio Gianni Giotto, <laughs> um, as I was going to say there, and the bronze is another Italian, uh, Roberto Lacorte Chetilar Then,
0: yeah, Chetilara, a name very familiar to World Endurance Championship fans because of their time in LMP2 and running a Delara in the past. Uh, but they now uh, head really to their GT routes, because I've seen them run in GT3 and GT4, I think, in the past. Roberto Lacorte is the man from Casquina in Italy, and he's the bronze having first competed in the European Le Mans series, actually, back in 2015, also with Villorba Corsa. So uh, he's been racing in LMP3 and P2, but notably no GT entry in ACO Rules Racing. Um, you'd have to probably go back to the early um, 2010s when he was last at the wheel of a GT car, so that'll be interesting to see how he, you know, rekindles or uh, gets those memories back again of a, a slower car, but um, uh, lots of power and uh, it's a Ferrari, of course, them being Italian, so mid engines <laughs> as well. GT Italia champion Giorgio synergiotto the 39-year-old from Treviso. Um, Again, regularly racing with La Corte, so they, they know each other well. The addition to the team is the 24-year-old Antonio Fuoco, who I'm just noticing here that his nickname is Speedy. I don't know how official <laughs> that is, but uh, Antonio Speedy Fuoco, I might try and work into the commentary this weekend. Uh, he's a GT Italia champion with AF Corsa a couple of years ago and has has driven for car guy, and Hublot eSports mm. team as well in the past. Um, so um, lots of interesting team names on the entry, including uh, Iron Lynx as well, who are a big mover and shaker these days in Italian uh, GT racing, but raced in Daytona this year with the Chetellar crew in their yes, LMP2 car. So that's the, probably the first connection with this team uh, for the WEC.
1: Now, remember, this is uh, GTE Am. Two EF Corsa cars, uh, in addition to their two pro cars. So um, the AF team, and, and named as AF, sometimes, of course, they have run cars under other uh, monikers for different people. But the 54 car, now, uh, let me, I'll start with the bronze, Thomas Flo, the Swiss bronze driver, uh, been around a while, but he's pretty good. Francesco Castellacci, Frankie Castellacci, silver, so far so good. And then you add in Giancarlo Fisichella, platinum driver, you're allowed one at that level, that's fine. That to me looks an awesome lineup. Especially because it's been established for
0: about four seasons now as yes. well, so they realise that they're onto a good thing and don't want to change a, you know, a, a really a well-oiled machine in that respect. Probably running with the Vista Jet branding again. It's Thomas Fleur's company, and he's the the businessman that's predominantly bringing the money to this campaign, although Francesco Castellacci helps with that as well. And Castellacci, the Roman from, who he, is 34 years old, um, I'm trying to work out when he first featured with the... Well, AF Corsa team now, they have, of course, been called Spirit of Race in the past, who are a Swiss arm of AF Corsa as well. But I reckon as far back as 2014, uh, in the GTC category that it was then, in the European Le Mans series, so for GT3 cars, uh, we were seeing um, Francesco Castellacci drive with AF Corsa. So it's a, a relationship that goes back at least six or seven years And the Floor, Castellacci, and Frissy Keller lineup has remained unchanged for at least four or five of those years. So, you know, it's kind of like the previous season hasn't really ended. You just roll on into the next. (laughs) Yes. Uh, You know, there's no reintroductions necessary. We know all about the data around spa, and they could easily run in the top five. And, and, you know, why not kick off the season with a podium? I think if if they've got aspirations to win this title one day, you know, it has to happen either this year or next. Um, So why not?
1: Yeah, and a good start. will put them on the right road. The 83 AF Corsa cart. The evergreen François Perot, there's an awful lot of good people in uh, a WEC paddock, uh, pretty much everybody, and François is one of the best of them. He's a smashing bloke, the Frenchman. He's the bronze driver. Um, Normally drives with Manu Collard? Yes. Uh, that's all changed this year. His partners are silver driver Alessio Rivera, Italian, and Nicholas Nielsen, the Danish driver, is the gold driver.
0: Yeah, now I wonder whether this is following the complication of last year's WEC. Now, Nicholas Nielsen won the ELMS in 2019 and should therefore have become a gold for 2020, but because the WEC season started in September 19, ah, he actually yes. stayed as a silver for the whole of the rest of the WEC. Uh, and that meant that Manu Collard could stay in the team as the gold. It's interesting now that Nicholas Nielsen finally does become a gold after his title-winning campaign in 2019, that Manu Collard doesn't find a way into the World Endurance Championship. But that's sort of the makeup of of the team and uh, much discussion have probably been had. Now, interestingly, uh, Manu Collard and Francois Perodo and Alessio Rivera were on the entry list for the opening round of the ELMS. Mm-hmm. But then because of health-related problems, couldn't take part in that event. But I understand that they are a full-season entry in ELMS as well with the 88, a eh, of course, of Ferrari. So we are going to see the Perodo-Collard combination at least in Europe. But it would appear because of the vagaries of, of Nicholas Nielsen's rating change, the delayed nature of that, uh, there's no room for Collard in the 83 crew who are the champions we should make out mm-hmm. as well, they, they are Good defending point, yes. champions from season 2019-2020 it was a close run thing even into the final round at Bahrain uh, late last year um, Alessio Rivera is the, the addition, but again, you know, someone who's been making waves in GT3 racing and I'm Very not surprised so. that uh, he's been signed up by AF Corsa to get another title. Um, he's a former Porsche Carrera Cup Italia uh, championship winner and raced with AF Corsa last year at times too.
1: The, that, that's a, I think that's another strong car for them to defend. Uh, shame not to see Mano in it, but mm. adequately explained by you, uh, beautifully explained by you. The final two cars in uh, this GTE-arm category and therefore in the 35-car field, we're going to talk about Iron Link's 60 and 85, take the 60 first. Italian flagged team iron links uh, i never know really what to make about uh, iron iron links as as a team and and i, I don't say that with any bad connotations um it, they just seem sometimes to be um uh, a bit difficult to understand, shall I say. Um, a bit of an enigma in, in some respects. Uh, in that uh, number 60 car, another Ferrari, uh, Claudio Schiavone is the bronze and Andrea Pacini is the gold and Matteo Cressoni is the silver. Whatever else I think about them, that's a strong lineup. Uh, in uh, what has been been a strong car, the Ferrari 488. As as we've mentioned, it won the championship last year. Uh, so what do you reckon? Giovanni, Crisoni, Pacini.
0: Very good. Uh, Matteo Crisoni has been around the ELMS paddocks for a, a number of seasons now. And uh, another one where you're scratching your head why he hasn't actually been moved up to the gold grade. But uh, it's done on lap times. It's done on uh, previous success as well. But uh, been racing Ferraris with numerous different Squads in the past, Clearwater Racing, Jim McWhorter Squad, JMW Motorsport. And uh, when Iron Links came on the scene last year, uh, was tied down to their 24 hours of Le Mans uh, entry. So Cressoni, that's a, a, a simple choice, I would say, for the Iron Links squad. Then you've got one of the two Puccini brothers, Andrea, uh, who uh, managed to get close to a title last year as far as the Michelin Le Mans Cup was concerned. Giacomo, uh, also his brother, um, a regular with Ferrari Cruz, having previously been put in with Kessel. Uh, but, yes, yeah, um, Andrea Pacini, sort of very easily overlooked, but, I mean, the, the speed that he can produce can mm. be phenomenal. And then Claudio Schiavone getting more and more experienced because he's been doing both the LMS and the WEC, so no shortage in seat time, and that can only be a good thing as he, as he gets more and more used to, uh, to a GTE car, which can be a tricky thing, definitely.
1: Uh, and finally, last but by no means leads, the uh, second Iron Links entry, the 85, for bronze driver, the Italian Manuela Gostner, silver driver, the Swiss entered uh, Rahel Frey, and delighted to see racing back in Europe after... Uh, a very nasty accident at Recard testing in an LMP2 car, gold rated Catherine Leg already been back in racing of course, she's been racing in IMSA this year with Christina Nielsen uh, in the early part of the season, the second of two uh, fully female driver crews, uh, we mentioned Richard male Racing Team, I, I tend not to say that, I, I, I'll make the point here because there are two of them neither the car, the track nor the stopwatch knows or cares and I suspect that all six of those drivers would absolutely th- think the same thing but what I, I will say about this car is that is a strong lineup Manuel Augusta drafted into the ELMS squad for Iron Links after problems with the grading of Esme Hawke. wasn't it who was supposed to be yes. in that car um, Rahel Fry we know all about extremely experienced driver and Catherine Legge absolutely has been wanting to get into the WEC, into European and get to Le Mans for a very long time indeed. It's about the only thing we ever talk about uh, when we were meeting together uh, in the paddock or grabbing breakfast, lunch or dinner at Marion's Hospitality when we were in the LMS pro- uh, uh, paddock. Um, that is a good-looking, uh, talented squad for Iron Lynx Racing.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at uh, Catherine's recent venture into GT Daytona when in 2020 at Daytona she raced a Lamborghini for GRT Grasser and as you mentioned, in a Porsche this year at Sebring and Daytona with Christina Nielsen and a certain Earl Bamba as well. Um, Mm. Ferrari's
1: I don't know, Missed actually. out on the championship a couple of three seasons ago by a point or two points. Yeah. Um, uh, when Brian Sellers and Madison Snow won the championship, she was in a, an NSX for My Shank Racing. And that wasn't even meant to be full season, but it ended up being full season because she was... Basically, in with a chance of the championship, and she drove with a, a variety of different core drivers because it hadn't meant to be. A cha- she, she is a brilliant driver. Uh, let's not forget her results in Indy Lights, although that's going back a, a little way now. Far uh, in excess of uh, somebody like Danica Patrick in the same in the same category. Uh, one might say has not had the same opportunities, but doesn't make her a bad driver. She's a very competent driver and supremely competitive. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I remember the days
0: when they were still racing the Delta Wing as well, and she was very much part yeah. of that lineup in the mid twenty tens. And would love to have raced that at Le Mans when it featured. Um, uh, yeah, and the goal, quite obviously, is to get to the twenty four hours of Le Mans. Um, and because she's driven lots of different GT cars. I think she'll adapt perfectly well to a Ferrari this time around, having, as you've mentioned, the Acura NSX, the uh, Lamborghini from GRT, last year's Porsche, or this year's Porsche. So uh, a Ferrari, another uh, manufacturer to add to... the set of overalls, yeah, yeah, absolutely. As we've said about Ben Keating, really. (laughs) Manuela Gossner coming from a a very much family-orientated racing team because, you know, I was calling uh, last weekend the... Uh, 12 hours of Paul Ricard when her dad, her brother, her sister were all in a Mercedes together. She was the absentee, although she did compete in the Mugello 12 hours a month ago. And Manuela Agostina, uh, very quick bronze indeed and well-established in the Iron Links crew. And Rahel Fry, I mean if you didn't catch the, the final hour of the European Le Mans series race at Barcelona, tune in purely from Rahel's stint because she rejoined the race from her pit stop in, I think, seventh, sixth, seventh, seventh in class it was, and ended up finishing the race in fourth. And there were some brilliant wow. overtakes along the way. Now, OK, there might have been uh, tyres of different ages mixed in there and possibly a bit of fuel saving from the other cars, but the car placement... And the commitment on the brakes in order to pull some of those overtakes off just reminded me how good Rahel Fry is.
1: I'm not going to ask you for predictions for the classes because other than hypercar, I don't. I mean, you could you could stick a pin in, um, and you, you'd have as much. Opportunity to be correct as as making any kind of reasoned decisions uh, in the 14 P2s and the 18 GT cars. There, what what I would say, Johnny, is that there will be a lot of people listening to this who are dismissing this 21. Uh, uh, 2021 FIA World Endurance Championship because of the lack of interest in the top class. Uh, it is an important season for the top class because it's the first season of hypercars. But there's not going to be true racing competition there for a couple of seasons. Uh, that's the truth of that. It's a developing category. Um, but to dismiss the championship because of that would be folly, because of everybody we've talked to, I've just sent a, a note on the production chat to, to, to Tim because we've well run over our time allotted here. But there really are no field fillers whatsoever, actually in any of the classes. But in terms of the competitive nature of it in P2, GTE Pro, GTE Arm, it is a quality depth of field here.
0: It is really good, and um, I think you know the season with only six races in it will pass yes. incredibly quickly with entertainment throughout. You've got the difference in race lengths six hours, eight hours, and the 24 hours in August. Um, I suppose the upside of making LMP2 a finite number of manufacturers producing chassis. Possibly we were always going to get to the stage where one was better than the other three, and that's where we are. However, what it has presented us with almost inadvertently now is a single-make LMP2 category. So, therefore, it's all down to drivers, uh, both in qualifying, but then more crucially, across a 6 or an 8 hour race how you've made how you've created your driver combination and then mm-hmm. how you utilize it in the race you know if there's a full course yellow if there's a safety car can you get your bronze time burn through that and then you get to the real fun part of the race at the end where the where the golds and the platinums are plugged in i yeah. fear a little bit about where gt pro is going because we're not going to have the Corvette all the way through the season, so it will...
1: Sh- it's in its twilight years, it isn't is. it? Let's let's be and, honest, and Ferrari- because it will be replaced by something else. It's due to be replaced in twenty three, actually, 2023. Yeah, and Ferrari have said, we'll do this year and next year and then
0: their focus will shift to prototype racing. I think uh, they've made no secret about that. And, and Uh, Just as hypercar has had to be reworked, and we're right in the middle of that reworking, I think the same will have to ripple down to uh, GT eventually. But the nice thing is, because there have been so many factory GT cars through the years, they now descend into AM, and it gives us a... a stunning, stunning, stunning car entry. And they're all current machinery. You know, the rule is you have to use year-old GT pro cars. They're actually all equivalent and that's proven by the time set in mm-hmm. today's sessions because you've got this overlap and you think well what category are they in pro or am it doesn't seem to yeah. matter so yeah. um, um you know th- there is the potential again just as i've said about um pro am maybe being able to get onto an overall podium uh, in lmp2 uh, we yeah. may even get the same situation where an am car <laughs> might finish in the top five
1: uh, within uh, gt pro a, a, a conversation for another day, but I hope that the, the LM, the, the Le Mans GTE AM baby doesn't get thrown out with the GTE Pro bathwater when the ACO and the WEC come to reconsider what GT where GT is in yep. in the overall, because there's still clearly a lot of interest in gte arm um, in both ELMS and WEC, and particularly at Le Mans, because that is the entry level. And I don't think GT3, in whatever form, certainly not in the form it is at the moment, is is the replacement, is the answer for that. Um, and I, I think there's life in that GTE category yet in the AM's hands going forward. And if all the factory teams, Ferrari and Porsche and, well, Ferrari and Porsche, Corvette possibly even as well, have a hypercar and an LMDH, well, what are you missing? Give it give it give it to the pro, give it to the, the privateers and, and say, there you go, guys, have at it. Yeah, and we, we've had ELMS uh,
0: campaigns in the past where we've had a sort of a two-pronged GT category. You could almost run GTE AM like GTC used to run. Um, mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, come up with s- some other way of running GT cars, uh, which are s- slightly faster. But, I mean, yeah, the, the, the difficulty is, obviously, the, the key movers and shakers in GT Pro today – now want to get involved in hypercar, whether that's LMDH or LMH,
1: and that's yeah. brilliant as far as so you don't need the factory cars not, no. when, you, not when you've not when you got 13 of them here and 20 odd at Le Mans yeah. you don't need the factory no. cars 20, 20 AM
0: cars just call them GTE forget about the Pro and yeah. the AM bit
1: just absolutely
0: just, yeah I agree with that as
1: I say though that's that's probably a conversation that we should have kept for another day <laughs> maybe we'll be talking about it across this season it's a season to look forward to whichever way we're making history we're seeing new hypercars we're seeing the recycled Alpine that the new The rebellion. We've seen LMP2 across now two classes, split seven and seven, where we literally cannot pick a winner of the race this weekend, never mind the championship. And it could even come from a pro-am car if strategy, yellow flags, safety cars fall into the right place for for the Pro-Am cars. In GTE Pro, only five cars, but we've got a Corvette, a Corvette that could upset the Ferrari and Porsche Apple cart. And with the 13-car entry in GTE Am, we've got the deepest and possibly the most talented GTE Am field we've seen for many a year in the WEC for 2021 with three manufacturers represented there. Aston, Porsche, Porsche, And Ferrari. It's looking good, isn't it? So join us uh, for our season coverage across the WEC uh, with Johnny Palmer and, well, probably a variety of voices uh, next to him across the season as we build up, of course, towards Le Mans 2021 in August. We'll bring you full coverage of that big event as well across the Radio Shill Limited network of Channel. Our our voice of ACO Rules Racing and the WEC and ALMS in particular, Johnny Palmer. Thank you for joining me, John Hangduff, on this special RSL programme. The 2021 FIA World Endurance Championship starts at Spa.